Here is the latest Higher Summits forecast brought to you by our friends at the Mount Washington Observatory. Weather above treeline in the White Mountains is often wildly different than at our trailheads. Before you hike, check the Higher Summits forecast at mountwashington.org. Weather observers working at the nonprofit Mount Washington Observatory write this elevation-based forecast every morning and afternoon. Search and rescue teams, avalanche experts, and backcountry guides all rely on the Higher Summits forecast to anticipate weather conditions above treeline. You should too. Go to mountwashington.org or text FORECAST to 603 356 2137. Okay, here is your forecast for Friday, October 6th, and Saturday, October 7th. We do have some precipitation coming in over uh, Saturday and Sunday, and with the cold temps, you're looking at potential uh, slick terrain, so be very cautious of that. Friday, we have in and out of the clouds under mostly cloudy skies, high in the upper 40s with winds south at 35 to 50 miles per hour, with gusts up to 55 miles per hour, decreasing to 25 to 40 miles per hour later. Wind chill will be 30 to 40 above. Friday night, in the clouds with a chance of rain, showers early, and then rain showers likely late, with a low in the mid 40s. Winds south, shifting southeast at 35 to 50 miles per hour, with gusts up to 60 miles per hour, and a wind chill of 30 to 40 above. And then Saturday, in the clouds, with rain showers likely early, becoming rain likely late. High in the lower 40s, with winds southeast, shifting east at 40 to 55 miles per hour, with gusts up to 65 miles per hour. And the wind chill here will be falling to 25 to 35 above. from the Woodpecker Studio in the great state of New Hampshire. Welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump.
So Stomp, we're on uh, episode 124. Welcome, welcome. Welcome. Another week. Or uh, otherwise known as day five of Sober October. <laughs> I know, right? <clears throat> How's it going for you? Oh, not good. Not good, because I'm looking at my refrigerator and I have like 12 beers in there and I've got a trip up north scheduled and I was going to bring some up there. My father-in-law is closing the place down soon, but yeah. I can't drink any of these. And they're all treehouse. Okay, yeah. You like that stuff. I do, and this is yeah. all your fault, but... <laughs> yeah, Mrs. Stomp and I are in the same boat. So, five days in. We're doing good, though. And uh, I'm glad I'm not uh, submitting myself to the temptation of the weekend events. I think I might yeah. fail. Oh, that's true, too, because there's a party on Saturday at uh, Tuckerman that I'm going to, and I'm not supposed to drink there. Right. Good luck. Good luck, my friend. Dumb idea. Stop. <laughs> um, all right. So welcome to episode 124 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. Uh, this week, we're joined by our friend Ethan Banks. How you doing, Ethan? Hey, thanks for inviting me to be on, guys. I've been listening to you for so long. I feel like starstruck. The two of you, Stomp and oh. Mike, and, and, I, and I get to be on the show, too. I'm starstruck with, with Stomp as well. But but for the listeners, Ethan is a prolific trail runner and hiker in the white. So he recently met up with Stomp, and they hit it off. So we thought that it made sense to have him uh, sitting in on an episode. So we'll learn more about Ethan shortly. Yeah. Uh, but Ethan is a, uh, root, a root creator. I get that because he's got some good ideas about creating unique roots in the uh, the White Mountains. He's a runner, a hiker, a podcaster, an all-around interesting guy. So he's going to be here to share some of his experiences with us. And we're going to learn uh, about some of his roots, including the Squamathon and some of his other crazy pursuits in the Whites. Nice. So in addition to Ethan, we will give our predictions for winter snowfall totals. Stomp has discovered that he cannot sleep while backpacking, so we're going to give him a therapy session to <laughs> fix that issue. Uh, grizzly bears attack in Canada. There's a mail truck that burned in New Hampshire, but Mrs. Stomp is okay. We're going to talk about the Abby Hernandez abduction in North Conway. And we've got haunted happenings and things to do, as well as recent search and rescues on Tuckerman and Monadnock. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. Excellent. And then are we moving into the hiking buddy spot right now? Yeah, let's see what the tip is for the week. Okay. This is Ben Pease from Hiking Buddies. We are a 501c3 nonprofit committed to reducing avoidable tragedies through education, impactful projects, and fostering a community of support. You can find out more at hikingbuddies.org. We wanted to say thank you to those who have supported our mission, and most importantly, say thanks to those who speak up, who ask questions, and who are willing to provide guidance and assistance on the trails when needed. You embody what it means to be a hiking buddy. And now, for all my newer hikers out there, here's this episode's Hiking Buddies Quick Tip. Uh-oh, you took a stumble at the river. You're fine, but is your gear okay? Next time you hike, consider lining your backpack with a compactor bag. It's a little thicker than other bags and it's the right size for your pack. Place all your dry bag items into the compactor bag and close up your pack. This way you'll be nice and waterproof. The hiking buddy spot is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. It's super cool. 
Yeah. Um, I have some comments here about the uh, forecast uh, that we just heard. Okay. This could be the time that you might want to dust off the old yak tracks or crampons, uh, micro spikes, because they're calling for potential ice glazed conditions up on the higher summits. So just beware. All right. It's that time of the year. So Stomp, I pulled a topic that I wanted to talk to you guys about. Um, I've been thinking about how much rain has been going on. So it's going to be rainy again this weekend. So everything's ruined. Um, I'm going to get out hiking tomorrow. I think I'm going to try to like grab something on the way up to Maine, but it's only going to be a short one. Uh, but everything's going to be rainy. So I've been following this meteorologist on TikTok. I forget her name, but she's pretty good. She's New Hampshire based. And she was talking about her prediction for the winter. Mm-hmm. And she raised something that I was not aware of. So in 2022, there was an underwater volcano in Tonga. Are you, are you familiar with this? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So this was an eruption that um, was in the Hunga Tonga um, underwater volcano. So this sent megatons of water vapor into the stratosphere. So there's the troposphere, which is where we experience our weather, and then the stratosphere. So this is contributing to an increase in global warming because um, water vapor is a greenhouse gas. So regardless of what people think is going on with, with climate change in the atmosphere right now, this eruption that happened in 2022, it's predicted to increase our surface temperature by about a degree and a half Celsius of warming. And it's put a ton of water vapor up into the stratosphere. So in addition to that issue, we're experiencing El Nino uh, or El Nino um, conditions which typically drives wet weather. So that's why we've experienced like I think 15 out of the last 17 weekends have been rainy conditions. So, and we're predicted to have like another uh, rainy weekend here. So that's potentially what's going on is that temperatures are going up because of this. And then we're experiencing more precipitation in the atmosphere. Okay. That's a new, uh, new twist on it. That makes a lot of sense. So now the theory is, is like you would think, okay, we're getting a lot of rain. So in the wintertime, we'll get a lot of snow because there's a lot of precipitation. But what what this meteorologist is saying is that she thinks that we're going to be experiencing a fair amount of warming along with the rain. So what may end up happening is that, you know, we'll get a period of cold, I'm sure, but we may experience more warmer weather into December and January so that we get more rain than snow. You know, and it may be to may affect like north, um, like northern Massachusetts and southern New Hampshire a little bit more. The whites may get more snow, but mm-hmm. overall, she thinks that we're probably more likely to get a higher rain total than 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 normal over the winter, which would mean a really shitty snowmobile season. Correct. Right. Any yeah. uh, shitty ski season as well if it's warm. Yeah, yeah, which is kind of what you got last year too. So we had like a, a, it was pretty warm. So I'm just, I'm not holding my hopes out for um, a lot of crazy snow this this winter. I was originally, but after I I saw this lady talking, I was like, forget it. Everything's ruined. Unless we get one of those polar vortexes. Yes. Yeah, because that could change it. So we'll see. We'll look back at the show and we'll say that Mike was thinking that it's probably going to be like a rainy garbage type of winter. And then we'll see. Mm. All right. Okay. Play some bets. 
All right. Now, um, so we want to do this next little topic here. So, Ethan, um, do you backpack at all? Do you do overnights? I do some backpacking, yeah. I haven't this season, but uh, but yeah, I have. I've done a little bit of through hiking. Uh, I did the Coast Trail back in 2019, for example. I've done a bunch of overnights, too. Okay. Do you find that you have trouble falling asleep at night? Or Well, first of all, are you a tenter or a hammocker? Tent. Right. Tent, for sure. Any trouble falling asleep at night? Of course. It's, yeah. I mean, I'm on a, <laughs> a blow-up pad in the middle of the woods. How comfortable can it be? So, yes, I have my challenges. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, did you feel so you when go. you did the cohosh? How many days? Did, how many days does that typically take? We we took our time and and just made a, a trip out of it, and it was thirteen days that we were out. But that's that's a very long time for that trek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, did you sure. feel like uh, by the time you got to so, towards the end that you were in a groove where you had less problems sleeping, or was it difficult the uh, whole time? It got better as it went. Yeah, you, you do. And plus, there's just your body gets tired after being out hiking that many days with a with a full pack on. You just kind of naturally fall asleep more easily. Uh, so it, yeah. it got better as it went and I got more used to it, yeah. Yeah, and the reason I ask this is that Stomp did an overnight and you would think that he's the first person that's ever done an overnight in the White Mountains the way he's <laughs> acting here, but he's like complaining that he's uncomfortable and yeah. different. So Stomp, why don't you just, you know, state your case and then we'll, right. we'll, we'll diagnose you. Yeah, I'm not a newbie to backpacking, but uh, <clears throat> this weekend... We were on somewhat of an exposed um, alpine zone, and I had my half dome uh, two by REI, no problem there. Tent flap was flapping away; that's always an issue. Um, I was sleeping on a Neo Air winter uh, pad, which is like two two and a half inches thick, so that was fairly comfortable. But I couldn't sleep a wink. Um, I was fairly comfortable, not too hot. But uh, yeah, I was exhausted the next day because I just could not sleep. So I don't know what the deal is. Couldn't sleep because you couldn't get comfortable or the noises or? Uh, more or less the noises. I mean, I, I suppose I could have brought earplugs, but I did not. Yeah. Uh, but it was mostly just the noise uh, of the wind and the flapping. Um, part In part, just the comfort, but uh, certainly not going to carry up a... Like a cot <laughs> on top of everything else that I'm carrying for a backpack. Do you want earplugs in the middle of the woods at night? You know, what if a bear decides to come check things out? What's going on? You know, I don't, I don't uh, know that I'd want earplugs in that circumstance. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I, I do use earplugs, so I just have like the soft ones, Ethan, and I do find like yeah. you can still hear a little bit. A lot of times what I'll do is I'm a side sleeper, so I'll put the earplug in the ear that's exposed and then my other ear is in the pillow so it's yep. not it, that's like my beer insurance I think yeah <laughs> so it's yeah, just I'm enough not, to I'm like trick, yeah. knock out the noise yeah. Mm. yeah if I'm sleeping at an AMC hut which I haven't done for a while but the, of course earplugs are necessary people are snoring you're indoors you just you've got to you can't survive otherwise but outdoors I've just had kind of mixed feelings about it the tent yeah. the, the flapping though I mean that's if you get things uh, staked down tight enough I haven't sure, had too sure. much problem with flapping, unless it's pretty windy. Then there's just not that much you can do about it, I guess. Mm. Yeah, well, this was Cannon, so it was in the heart of the notch mm. at about 3,800 feet. It was, mm. it just, yeah. it was mild wind, but enough. Um, yeah. So I would say a couple of things to think through here, Stomp. One is you're doing, you're only doing like a one night, so you're probably getting out at like, what time did you get on trail? Like one, two o'clock? Yes. 
and you're only hiking maybe like two hours to get up and then you're setting up your camp. So you're not tiring yourself out. So that's the True. problem is you should have like tried to stay up the night before so that you were exhausted <laughs> when you did the backpack. Because if you know in the future, if you know that you're going to have a hard time sleeping, you should stay out the night before so that when you get on trail, you're already exhausted. And by that time, you'll just, your body will take over. Just burn off that energy. Yep. That's one thing. It. And then the earplugs are another. Then I'm curious, did you, do you normally sleep like naked or in your underwear? And did you all, did you do that same setup here? Or did you wear like pants or a hat or something different that you normally don't wear? I was wearing pants and a micro fleece uh, pullover. But again, temperature wasn't too bad. All right, good. Because thank God, because I don't want to visualize you in your underwear, which is good. But. <laughs> Yeah, I won't. So you get were comfortable. Descriptive on that. Yeah, it was comfy. It wasn't too bad. I mean, with the wind, it was pretty cool. It, was, it got into the forties, which is nice. Yeah. And did you get no sleep, or was it like just that unsettled in and out sleep? In uh, yeah, totally unsettled, yeah. loosened. I was definitely awake for most of the night. Huh. Yeah. What about? Uh, do you read on your? Do you have like a? Um, a Kindle app on your phone that you read, or do you like to listen to like podcast or watch YouTube videos or anything like that? Nope, nope. I you know check social media once or twice, but I wasn't uh, on my phone much at all. Yeah, mm-hmm. I try to put that away. Solo or with a group uh, stop? Oh, I was with uh, two family members, my cousin and uh, his son. So I, I find tenting with other people around, they make a lot of noise too. That makes it harder for me to sleep. Just all the unfamiliar racket. I, I, sometimes I do better if I'm by myself, but yeah. By a stream, I guess would be my favorite if I can find it because the white noise of a water going by that can help put me to sleep. Yeah. That's a good call. Yeah. yeah I sure. would say those, um, those neotherm ear mattresses are tough too especially like i don't have an issue with it i have that mattress too or that ear mat mattress too but they do like when you're moving around on them they make a lot of noise so if you're going to have a problem sleeping like you may want to test out your ear pad to make sure that it's quiet if you're going to be moving around back and forth Mm, yeah well thanks for the input guys I did switch my pillow around. I used to use one of those little inflatable pillows for tenting. You know, they, they, they don't weigh much. They blow up and they're, they're real small. Um, but they just were never comfortable for me. And I switched to something that weighed more, but was so much more comfortable. It's like this roll up memory foam thing that's designed for, for backpacking, but it's got a layer of memory foam in there and kind of like a, like a micro suede cover on it. Oh, that mm-hmm. thing's cozy. Cause I'm a side sleeper oh, too. Nice. My face is you know, rolling, lying right on the thing. And that made a big difference in helping me get to sleep and stay asleep. Yeah. And that the pillow was, you're so right about the material on the pillow. Cause I actually have the pillow you're talking about, like the blow up one and it's like a silky material on both mm. sides. So you do slip on what I found. I actually works for me because I, I almost barely blow it up with air. It's just like two or three puffs. So you're sunk into it, mm-hmm. but you're right. Like I used to blow it up more significantly and I would slip off of it. And I've seen those pillows you're talking about and I, I knew need to upgrade, but that's the other thing stomp is like, don't, don't be afraid to bring your luxury items. Like even if it's an extra blanket or a heavy pillow or, or anything mm. else, you're, you're better off like being comfortable and falling asleep than staying up all night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I was pushing maybe 40 pounds, which isn't too bad. Oof. 
Not yeah. too bad, but that's that's still a lot of weight. Yeah, yeah, but it is. Uh, right. Still for the luxury items. Another thing on that yeah. blowing stuff up. If I, I used to get the uh, the sleeping pad blown up too much, and I'd feel like I'd be on top of it rather than sunk into it. And I learned pretty quick you gotta take some air out of that thing so you sink into it a little more. And uh, mm. that was much more comfortable doing that. Well, that so that's that's a different. So for me. I, I'm a side sleeper, so I would wake up in the morning and like my hip would be on the ground yeah. if I didn't. So I blow mine up all the way, but you're right. Sometimes you do kind of fall off. I'm a side sleeper too, but yeah, they're, they're, and I know what you're talking about with the hip hitting the ground in the morning. Mm-hmm. If the air gets colder, if it loses any air, but there's a, there's a happy medium between fully blown up and then uh, just True. just letting a little bit of air out of it. So you can uh, sink in and have that wrap around yeah. feeling that's more comfortable there in the woods. Mm-hmm. All right, so so then the 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 diagnosis here, it well, not the, the the prescription here is that number one, you need to stay up the night before so you're exhausted. Number two, the approach hike needs to be more rigorous so that you get even more tired. And then number three is you've got to put um, earplugs in. And then number four is site selection. You got to be in a place where you're not going to be hit by wind and all that noise is going to bother you. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good stuff. Excellent. All right, maybe the three of us can get together and do a do do a little backpacking trip and test it out. Yeah, sounds good. All right, guys, I have a question for you. So, our friend Nobby hikes. He's been on the show before. He wants to finish his terrifying twenty five. So, he's roped me into going on an overnight trip with him next weekend. Mm. Red flags, he, huge red flags on this trip. <laughs> he's got a vendetta. So. He wants to finish the terrifying 25. This is his route, is start at the Great Gulf. Then we go Great Gulf to Madison Gulf. And then we're going up Star Lake. Then we're going down Chemin des Dames. Yeah. And then... Don't go down that. Go up that. Yeah, well, I have done this route. So I've actually done this route, but it's tough. And we're going to do this with backpacks. So Great (laughs) Gulf to Madison Gulf, down Chemin des Dames, and then up the Great Gully Trail... Um, and then back down the buttress trail into yeah. the Great Gulf to camp on that's day one. Holy shit, that's a <laughs> I'm lot. like, no, I mean, like, it's <laughs> okay. not gonna happen. So then, so then day two is, um, we go up six husbands and then across to the Sphinx Trail. But Nobby's like, we can hit Washington before we do the Sphinx Trail if you want. And then out the Great Gulf. Holy moly! Wow. And I'm like, okay, um, I'm because I owe him because he came with my my crazy finish. But right with backpacking gear. What do you on, owe 20, him you know, for? Did he save I your mean, life? <laughs> I, that's true. That is true. <laughs> but well, Mike almost took his life. I did. As the <laughs> so he goes, he yeah, he did like a 22 mile hike with me across um, the Flume Slide and then up Cannon. So it was a little crazy, but. Um, <laughs> We'll see. We'll see how this one goes. So I'll stay tuned. I, I'm trying to gently hint to him. I'm like, hey, you know, this may be rough, but he doesn't take hints. He's just like, okay, we'll do this. I haven't done all of those miles. Of, I have done oh, a bunch yeah, yeah. of those miles. And man, rough stuff, no doubt. Yeah, it's like, what, 17 miles probably? Yeah, I think it's around 17 and the, the, the elevation is insane. But I've done, I did... Great Gulf to Madison Gulf to Chemin des Dames, and then I did those caves in the ice caves or whatever, and then up King Ravine, and then 
that was the day I did the parapet trail and then came down Daniel. That was a not, the worst hike I've ever done, like a nightmare. Uh, so this is shaping up to be a similar endeavor to that one. But um, I'll keep everyone updated. And if you're in the Great Gulf next weekend, keep an eye out for us. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll be yeah. the the miser- We'll be the ones with the miserable looks on our faces. But I have to. But I was going to say I I may have encouraged him because he threw the uh, the route by me too. And I just glanced over it really fast because I was working. And uh, I wrote back and I said, yeah, it sounds reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, what's funny is he messaged me and he was like, Stomp's going to join us. And I was like, okay. And then I committed and then he's like, oh, Stomp can't go. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've got a training. I can't, All I right. can't double book, but we'll be there for okay. you if you need us. <laughs> All right. So moving on, um, a couple was killed in, I think, is this Banff National Park in yeah. Canada? Yeah. So I don't know if that's in British Columbia or where that is, but um, two people were killed over the weekend after being attacked by a grizzly bear in Canada's Banff National Park. So this was where we had shared a video of two grizzly bears that were were following a group of about eight hikers. That was the video where like the the men placed themselves in between the women and the bears so that um, the women were like would get attacked first. But this one was a, a camping situation. So Parks Canada dispatch received an alert around 8 p.m. Friday from a GPS device indicating a bear attack in the Red Deer River Valley west of Yaha Tinder Ranch. Um, the, the bear was eventually euthanized for its aggressive behavior, but it was hours before a response team specializing in responding to wildlife attacks could reach this location. The team arrived around 1 a.m. to find two people dead and a grizzly that displayed aggressive behavior in the area. So the area where the attack occurred had been closed, has been closed until further notice. And they theorized that, um, the... The couple were, they were an experienced backpacking, they were experienced backpackers, they had a dog with them, so the theory is is that the dog potentially might have been the attraction to the, the grizzly, and then if it was a grizzly that was you know hungry or something like that, it might have just went, went after them. So they said that according to Parks Canada, there's about 700 grizzly bears in Alberta, uh, and they're considered a threatened species. So there's about 65 grizzlies believed to inhabit this particular national park, which is also home to black bears. So pretty scary story there. Thank goodness. No grizzlies around here. Yeah, I mean, they were experienced, so they clearly had beer spray on them. But if you're in a tent or whatever, there's not much you can do. You know, you don't have time to break out the beer spray to protect yourself. So, Right, right, right. Awful. Stomp, I saw something on social media uh, the other day about a guy that did an overnight. He did a solo overnight on, I'd like, Kate Sleeper and the Tri-Pyramids in that area. Mm-hmm. Yep. He was using a beer vault, so like the beer canister. Matter of fact, I used one when I was in Yosemite. Uh, beer got a hold of it, and I don't think it got into it, but it literally like poked holes into the, the beer canister with it, or the beer vault with its claws. Hmm. Wow. So... The whole thing, the whole top of it, I'll include a link in the show notes to this. Matter of fact, I'll share it over the Facebook, but the beer head like basically tore into the plastic of the cover and had made a pretty good dent into it. Didn't get into it, but... Wow. 
That's interesting. Yeah. So there must have been some food sent on the outside of the uh, canister. I would assume. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. It's all they it takes. Know. Yeah. So anyway, that was uh, that's beer news for the week. And next up, stop. You've got an update on the Slasher Five K team. Are you, Ethan? Are you on our team? I am not. I'm not on any uh, any team for Rescue Me Five K. Hmm. All right. You All right. Gotta, so that is sign up. Yeah, that's the what is, morning what are the dates on that of uh, November 11th. So it's the same day as the Reckless event that afternoon, but um, it's from 10 until noon. Uh, you can get your stuff at about 8:30, I guess, at Virgin. But um, we signed up a team, and we have about 12 members now, which is really cool. And uh, I, this is my first 5K. And I have some questions, Mike. Is this a like a, a timed event? Do teams compete against each other? No, I don't think so. I think it's just typically the way five Ks are run is that um, it's a it's a mass start, yeah. and then you get a bib, and then you'll cross the timing mat at the end, and then mm-hmm. they'll categorize you by age group. Okay, and then yeah, you get your placement by age group and gender. Nice. So no team comparison. I don't think so. No, I don't think there's any team points or anything like that. There are races, like there's there's a um, club race in Lowell that they do where um, it is a team based. You know, they get they accumulate the scores for the top four or five runners, but I don't think that they're doing this. Well, that's good because our team's going to smoke everybody. <laughs> well, Ethan, how fast are you? Fast runner? No, I'm not a fast runner. I'm an endurance runner, so I'm not fast, okay. but I'll go a long ways. Okay. So I'm in a 5K, uh, you know, half an hour, 27 minutes, something like that. If I'm going all out in a 5K, I'm about that pace. Got it. Yeah. So um, we'll see. But yeah, if you want to sign up, join us. Uh, yeah, stop. We'll, I still we'll haven't it. signed. I got to sign up. I got to do that tonight. Mm. Yeah, no doubt. So, um, but what, if people want to join the team, what do they need to do again, Stop? They got to s- go to the Rescue Me 5K website. Correct. And then when they sign up, what do they say? So we have the link. You look under the team tag uh, or tab and you'll see our team. It says just slasher, easy peasy. And the code word to join the team is interesting. I-N-N-E-R-E-S-T-I-N-G. God. Interesting. Whatever. <laughs> well, whose idea was that? Whose idea was that? Uh, that was my genius idea. I'm always thinking. So interesting. Stop thinking, stomp. Stop thinking. <laughs> All right. So uh, we'll look forward to that. That's coming up. And yep. Ethan, if you're around, join us. This I might have we'll just checked my calendar. I'm in between trips, so I, I could actually fit it in. We'll see. All right. Oh, All right nice. So. Excellent. Um, so next up, uh, there was a postal truck that caught on fire in Meredith, and we were all worried sick about Mrs. Stomp. What, what's going on with this one, Stomp? I'm assuming everybody saw the footage. It was yeah. everywhere. So that day, that was Mrs. Stomp's office in Meredith, and her coworker got out of the truck, went up to deliver a package, turned around, and the whole front end of the LLV, Long Life Vehicle, <laughs> which is funny, was on fire. It was engulfed. It was cinders by the time it was done, destroyed all the mail, and uh, it's under investigation. But Mrs. Stomp is fine. It was not her. Her phone was blowing up, and everybody was asking her, is that you? <laughs> oh, crazy. Um, did, is it an electric vehicle or a gas vehicle? It's gas. It's gas. Do they think it might have been the brakes, or was it the engine that blew? 
I don't know you. I have no idea. And I don't think I will know. I, um, or if I did know, I don't think I'd be able to tell you because probably yeah, internal sorry. information. Yeah, well, glad yeah. everybody's safe. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, next on the list here, stop the 32 feet uh, up family. So this is the family we talked about last week that yeah. there's like 15 kids or something. Yeah, 15 kids and the mom are hiking. So a little bit of an update on this. There was... A um, a quick update. So, Stomp, you would ask me where they were when we, we recorded the show. So, at the time, right. they were just they had just finished the Wildcats, so they were heading into the Mahoosics. I think they had finished Rattle River and it would come heading up. They actually, and we sort of even said during the show that like time's running out. So, it looks like they flip flop. So, they went up to Katahdin and they were able to um, summit Katahdin, and now they're heading south to finish out uh, the rest of Maine. And then I think they're going to go back to the Smokies and wrap up that last 70 or 70 or 80 miles there. So um, that's, that's the deal. They a couple of interesting things about Katahdin is because there's like 15 of them, they could only do a group of, I think 12. Is that right? Stop. Yeah. That's what I heard. So the Rangers, and I read a little bit about it, so the Rangers knew that the group was coming, and they were very strict and said, like, you know, you cannot all hike together. They even to the point where they didn't want them all up at the sign together. So there were Rangers up there when the group of 12 went up there. I don't know if the group of two or the group of 12 went first. Um, there was somebody, some people that didn't go up in the group, but there was 14 total. 12 went up, and they got their photo, and then... They went down, and then a group of two went up and, and summited, and then supposedly, I mean, I'm assumingly, presumably, they're heading back south in Maine somewhere now at this point. I would think they so. They are strict yeah. in Baxter. I, I remember a story from some years back. Scott Jurek had set his fastest known time, brought champagne up, and got fined mm. for it because you're not allowed to have alcohol in the park or something along those lines. There's some yes. strict that. rule about that. Yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, when we, the one time I went to Katahdin, we stayed at the A-Ball campground and there was a group of probably about 20 of us that were there and the ranger was going around and he realized that we were connected. You know, the campsite's only, there's only three people or four people at each campsite, but we had all kind of got together and he realized that we were a group and he said to us, he's like, look, you know, in the future, a group this size can all, and we explained to him, we were like, look, we're all different speeds and we're all going different times. And some of us aren't even summiting. So I only hiked with like a group of three people. Uh, and I didn't really see anybody the rest of the day, but at night the ranger came up to us and was like, you know, you're, you're supposed to only camp in the group areas and you're not supposed to be in a large group like this. So we just had to sort of stay separate and you know they, they, he was nice, but they're they're very strict at Katahdin. They don't mess they, around with their rules. They're strict because if I, if I remember right, it's legislated. The, the what the yes. what is required of Baxter when it was uh, set aside has got it, it's written right into the law how it is supposed to be preserved and how it's supposed to be treated and what you're allowed to do and not to do with that within that space. And they they take it very seriously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, recreational hiking is not their, you know, the, 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 the land is their primary focus. The, the people that are experiencing it are not, I don't think, the, the main focus for them. So they're not about accommodating people, which is which makes sense. It's their bylaws and the, it's a be. And that's a state park. Uh, I don't even know if it's a state park. I think it's a pri. Well, I don't know what the, what the governance is there. It is Baxter State Park by name, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it is a state park. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. It's a state so park with state unique regulation. rules, I think. That, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, so anyway, an we'll keep an eye segue. on the 32, 32 feet crew here. Sorry, Stomp, I stepped on you. Oh, no, it's just an interesting segue into the next story. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So um, a little bit of context on this, um, as most people have probably know, know by now that uh, the migrants crossing the border and, um, you know, getting spread around the, the nation has sort of come to a head. Um, even today, I think um, Secretary Mayorkas was saying that they want to ease regulations so that they can build a wall on the border. Uh, Hochul and Adams in New York have called upon help, the federal government for help. And um, it's an interesting story because it ties into stuff that we talk about here. It's pulling in the National Park Service now. So in New York, what they've decided to do with approval from the administration is use a national park in New York uh, to house some of the migrants that are coming through. And you're talking probably, what, 1,200, 1,500 people that will be on a national park and it's causing somewhat of an uproar. You have um, the House Natural Resources Committee holding hearings saying, you know, this is not the purpose. Uh, there are environmental concerns and um, no statutory authority. Uh, the, the National Park Service can't do this on their own without congress congressional approval. So it's a really fascinating story. But I think the overriding concern is will this spread to other national parks and uh it's just a very interesting balance between preserving these parks and uh providing shelter and care for the migrants that are coming into the country it's yeah, fascinating in this particular this particular case it's the gateway national recreation area in brooklyn which is managed right. by the national park service and this apparently looks to be a, an old airfield and they're proposing 7500 um people that would be uh housed there. i don't know how they're going to manage that over the winter but uh yeah it's a mess yeah well the other question i mean toileting and uh you know food it's a very isolated area so it's fascinating um but with the other cities that are also struggling with this, you're probably, in my opinion, going to see uh, more national parks used um, for this purpose. So it's just an interesting thing that's happening and it's something to keep a lookout for. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I don't know. That's above my pay grade, Stomp, to figure out these problems here. I'll be dead and gone by the time they figure them out if they ever do. But Oh, no kidding, uh, yeah. Well, it's one other point, too. National Park, as far as I know, uh, they have a no-camping uh, type of law or regulation built within the organization. And I remember back in, I think it was a few years back, they got rid of all the encampments in D.C., um, which is interesting. So <laughs> I'm not sure they're approaching these situations consistently, but uh, that's yeah, the government yeah. for you. Kind of crazy. I hope they don't mess yeah. with the whites. You know, we, we want to go hiking. You know, there's a, there's always a few interesting um, permanent or people that will camp out for long term in the whites, but for the most part, yeah. it's it's been pretty pretty quiet up here. But we'll see. Yeah, interesting stuff. All right, stop. You guys, uh, Ethan, stop. You guys want to talk about uh, a crime story? Yeah, let's go for it. Sure. Do you like the crime story segments, Ethan? When you listen, 
they're always interesting. Uh, like you did one about the, some of the missing people and uh, people that have disappeared. And it seems under suspicious circumstances, whether they're escaping yeah. a crime <laughs> that they committed or maybe were victims of uh, some suspicious circumstance. Yeah, I do find them interesting. Yeah, I always love people getting into shenanigans with their um, going missing and things like that. But this is an interesting case that um, the reason I want to bring this up. So our friend Al, who's a you know he helps a lot a lot with uh, giving out different ideas for the show. So uh, he had sent this over to me because I was thinking about the, the you know there's an unsolved murder Lu- Louise Chaput who had been murdered I think in 2001 and she had been uh, killed right outside of that like pond that's across the street from Pinkham Notch and then heading up to um, Glen Boulder in that particular area there. So it's an unsolved crime. But Al had sent me this story that I kind of forgot about that happened in 2013. Matter of fact, the day that this happened, I was in North Conway with my kids. So I remember like sort of the police activity going on around this. But this this was an event that happened around this time. Uh, it was October 9th, 2013, that, um, that this event happened. So 14-year-old Abby Hernandez... Um, was walking home from school. She had unfortunately made the mistake of accepting a ride offer from a stranger that she didn't know. Uh, she had injured her foot. She had like blisters on her foot. So she was like limping home from school. This guy offered her a ride. So she foolishly like decided like, yeah, all right, well, I'll take a risk. And unfortunately, what ended up happening is that when she got in the car, he ended up handcuffing her pulled the gun on her and took her to his house, which I believe was in a trailer area in Gorham, New Hampshire. Yeah, trailer area. So he lived in a trailer, I think, with his mother or with his family. He had a, a red shipping container that was actually dropped onto his property. That is where he... Uh, had Abby living and she was living with him for about nine months. And you can imagine what a you know, a sick guy that's going to kidnap a 14-year-old girl. There was a lot of really bad things that happened to Abby during that time, but Abby was resourceful, and um, she, even though she had to experience some, uh, you know, unthinkable things, she did build a relationship with this guy. So the guy's name is Nate Kibbe, and um, he had put, like, a no trespassing sign on his neighbor in his neighborhood area, his neighbors all thought he was a little bit weird. He had had some previous issues with the law. Um, he was into counterfeiting. Abby had apparently, you know, helped him a little bit with his counterfeiting activity, had built a relationship, had finally gotten a little bit of freedom or, or the ability to read some books and things like that. But long story short, his Abby's mother and um, family had sort of like put out the call for her to be rescued, but no one really knew what had happened. All the while, she's in Gorham, stuck in this storage container. Nate Kibbe's living his life. He's going to work and, and sort of tying her down and locking her up. Nine months go by. Uh, Nate had gotten messed up with a, uh, I guess, a sex worker. He had paid this sex worker in counterfeit money. The sex worker was threatening to go to the police to expose him for counterfeiting. That prompted him to be scared enough where he decided he was going to release Abby. Uh, and eventually, um, he drove her back into North Conway on the promise that she wouldn't tell anybody who he was. And Abby comes walking home, knocks knocks on her mother's door and says, I'm home after nine months. Um, police eventually 
track Nate down. She was able to provide enough information so they could track him down. And he's, he's now in jail at this point. But Al had sent this over to me because he's like, I wonder if anybody's looked at this guy in connection with um, Louis Chaput because he was born in 1980. He would have been like 20 years old at the time that she was murdered. And, you know, what are the odds of that many sick people being in that particular area with that with that modus operandi? So the police have mentioned with Louis Chaput that they have... They have some suspicions on uh, suspects, and I do wonder whether or not they think that this guy may be the prime suspect. So, pretty crazy story, but it's it's a, you know, we talk about hitchhiking sometimes when it comes to hiking and around the North Conway area and the White Mountains, and it's, I think you still got to be a little bit weary about who's picking you up or whether or not you're hitchhiking and whatnot. Obviously, this is like a pretty rare case, but it does happen. Most of the crime seems petty, though. It's break-ins in parking lots, and it's it's things yeah. related to trying to fund a drug habit, you know, things like that. You don't really think of this area, the North Country of New Hampshire, as a home for, for violent criminals or, or serial killers or someone who's going to imprison a teenage girl in a shipping container for crying out loud. Dude, it sounds like a something you'd see on a Netflix movie or something. It's, it's like terrifying. a horror movie, right? Yeah. yeah. But it's like, don't and that's exactly the reason why I feel like, you know, how many of these people are actually out there and, and, and then this Canadian lady just happens to be murdered right in the middle of where he did his crime and where he held his hostage. Like, you got to think, like, it's probably not the first time that he's done this type of crime before. So it does seem like I wonder if they're looking at him for this case. Amazing. Yeah, it's wild. But, um, you know, it's it's just a good reminder for people to just always, like, situational awareness is key. Like, don't try to be nice to people sometimes. Like, I'm sure that this girl probably thought, like, oh, it's nice he's offering me a ride. This stuff isn't going to happen to me. And it's like that one split decision is just, it's a bad decision. So um, <laughs> listen to the sort of whispers in your mind to uh, to back away if you feel like something weird is going on. Yeah, and, and it isn't uncommon for people to be hitchhiking in that area. They've got people no. coming off the Appalachian Trail, coming through various of the notches. They, they look like they need a ride. It's not uncommon to pick people up and get them somewhere, get them to a hostel, wherever they need. But... Uh, but wow, I mean, you just described the worst case scenario with that story, Mike. That is, I know, and it's crazy. It doesn't, it doesn't get more like it's not never discussed. I had forgotten about it until Al reached out to me. Hmm. Hmm. So um, the other thing is, kudos to Abby Hernandez. You know, she went through a horrific experience, but she was resilient and smart enough to form a bond with this guy to the point where he would release her after after all that. So sick puppies. It's kind of a miracle. Hmm. So anyway, Stomp, did I depress you? I feel like I brought the energy down. <laughs> yeah, sick puppies out there. Yes. Definitely. Head on a swivel. Yes. Don't trust exactly. anybody. All right, Stomp. So moving on, and I'll, I'll include a link to the article about this story if you if you want to go down that rabbit hole. But moving on, Stomp, we've got the Reckless Full Conditions kickoff event. Tickets are selling fast, and mm-hmm. um, we want to just remind the listeners of the details. So what are the details? Yeah, there are a few tickets left. We have a show uh, Saturday, November 11th. It's the Full Conditions Winter kickoff, and um, they're celebrating the release of the Full Conditions beer at Reckless, which proceeds go to the New Hampshire Outdoor Council. So Ty will be there. 
Uh, Mike and I will be there and we'll be doing a live show. And the time starts at two o'clock. I'll be playing some music for about an hour. And then the show will be recorded live from three until five. Uh, only people with tickets will get in. And at five, the doors will open to the public uh, just for a meet and greet and you know, get to say hi and have uh, a few beers. So it's going to be a really nice time. But we have the link here. Definitely, if you're thinking of going, grab tickets because I think there's probably maybe 20% left. Uh, they're going pretty quick. Do, uh, do we have any special guests lined up yet? It's top secret at this point. Okay. But Ty will be the primary. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Looking forward to it. I get so nervous for these things, Stomp. <laughs> do you really? Why, why do you keep scheduling these? I get nervous in front of crowds. <laughs> like, I was fine with the three of us here, but it's there's a crowd. It's just it's nerve-wracking. Yeah. Well, I don't know. People are coming to us and asking, so it's hard to say no. I mean, it's just such a good purpose, too, supporting the volunteer search and rescue teams. I mean, how can you say no? <laughs> you know what I may do to get out of it? I'm going to do what this guy in the next story did, is I'm going to pretend that I got attacked by a beer to get out of it. <laughs> oh, so uh, this one, Stosh give, sent us this, our friend from... Give me, uh, uh, give me the grisly details. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, an Ohio man is being charged with uh, false reporting an incident after investigators say his call to authorities reporting a beer attack was just a ploy to get out of a wooded area of West Virginia. Dude, just say you lost. Come on. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so uh, he called 911, said he was being attacked. He claimed that he had been walking for days, his phone was dying, and that the beers were circling him and he was going to die. <laughs> <laughs> That's how bears work. They circle you. Yeah. Wow. It's like right out of the gray with Liam Neeson. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> Imagine the, cir- the, run- the bears are running around in a circle like, come on. <laughs> That's not how it works. That's hardcore. <laughs> yeah. So I wonder if people from West Virginia look at people from Ohio like New Hampshire people look at Massachusetts people. But um, mm-hmm. Cr- Christian Leonhart, 47, of Brecksville, Ohio, uh, was the gentleman that called. So the deputies say that they sent several search and rescue groups and they worked to locate Leonhardt using emergency lights and sirens to both scare away the bears that don't exist and point the man to their location. So they got a helicopter going on this guy and everything. So a two-hour search ensued and they finally found him. He didn't want medical treatment. He just wanted to ride out of the woods and he wasn't bleeding, didn't have any injuries, they said that, um, stop me if you're surprised here, but uh, the deputies say that Leonardo told them that he was extremely intoxicated and apologized for wasting their time. <laughs> I am yeah. shocked. That is, I can't believe yeah. that. Oh. Really? Yes. Yeah. Oh. Okay, because I was curious if he was trying to avoid a bill. Like, okay, I'm lost. If they have to start up a search and rescue, I'm going to get billed. But if that was the case, look at what happened. He just tripled the cost. Yeah. So um, anyway, that is shenanigans wow. going on uh, from West West Virginia. And that's a shout out to Stosh from Inside the Line, the Catskills podcast. So our friend, mm-hmm. he's been on the show before. Yeah, he's great. Yep. He's crushing it. Yes, he is. Um, all right. So then next up, Stomp, you've got a couple of, we got a bunch of things to do here. So um this is for the Halloween season. So Mount Washington Cruise Haunted Tours Halloween Party 
if you want to go on that, we'll include a link to the show notes. So this is the cruise ship, the Mount Washington, that's in Lake Winnipesaukee. So it sounds like they're having Halloween parties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that closes out the season. That's a great time, though. There is uh, the, the boat's decorated. Everybody's in costume. So it's a really cool time. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've never been on that boat. I've seen it a bunch of times. So every time I go into Winnipesaukee area, but I haven't been on mm-hmm. it, but it looks fun. Yeah. Uh, and then next up, Stomp, you've got a link to Haunted Corn Mazes in New Hampshire. So there's Londonderry, Guilford, Plainfield, Durham, Hopkinton, Green, Greenville, Milford, Haverhill, Conway, Meredith, and Lee. So we'll include a link to all of those. Is there any, any specific one you, rec- you recommend, Stomp? Oh, no. Nope. Just throwing it out there. Giving okay. folks good things to do. All right, and then Saturday night uh, coming up, so we're going to release this on Friday the 6th, Saturday night on the 7th from 4 to 9 p.m., the Mountains and Microbrews 2023 event for the Hiking Buddies is at Tuckerman Brewing Brewing Company in Conway, New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. So I'll be going. I think I'm going to be there around 6. Nice. Can I get an exemption from Sober October? Yeah, I, I, I think you'll get a waiver. <laughs> okay. We forgive we'll you. So I think it's a free event. I believe it's free. Mm-hmm. So if they charge you, then I apologize, but I'm pretty sure it's free. So it's going to be from four to nine. Uh, go over there. Ben's going to be there. Lynn's going to be there. I'll be there. Stomp's not going, but it should be a fun time. Yeah, for sure. And it is a benefit for the hiking buddies, correct? Yeah, I believe yeah. so. So yeah. I'm sure Eric Todd Sweet will be there. Sweet. So you can get a selfie with him. And some handstands. The handstands, yep. I'm yeah. sure he'll have some beautiful lady hiking next to him. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mike, be kind. No, I am. I'm always kind. I love his oh, photos. That, so. No, that's his That's his. Oh, phrase. yes. Yes. <laughs> oh. All right. And then some other stuff here, Stomp. <laughs> On Saturday, we've got uh, a list of things to do. So there's the Freiburg Fair in Freiburg, Maine. So I'll be there on Sunday nice. at the Freiburg Fair. So uh, I'll be eating um, French fries and deep fried Oreo cookies and all kinds of other stuff. So. <laughs> to wash down that bear. Yep. And then there's a pumpkin festival in Milford, New Hampshire. This starts at 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. There's another pumpkin festival in Candia, New Hampshire. There is a daytime haunted event in Lee, New Hampshire. And uh, there is a Jolly Cations Fall Festival and Pumpkin Fun in Litchfield, New Hampshire. Right. And this is Saturday. So Saturday, yep. And then yeah. there's a great and everything's ruined because it's gonna pour out, but Graveyard <laughs> right. Walk at Castle in the Crowd Clouds in Moltenboro. Yeah. Uh, here's another one that sounds even better. Flashlight maze at the Copple House Farm in Lee, New Hampshire. Right. And then um, Salisbury, New Hampshire, the Salisbury Woods Haunted Barn and Trail. Then we've got Deadwick Spectral Stroll in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And uh, yeah, that's it. So plenty of stuff going on on Saturday, even though it's going to be rainy and miserable. Yeah, a couple of others on Sunday. Yeah, why don't you read uh, those? Yeah, sure. We have a daytime haunted overload at Lee, New Hampshire. These are all at 10 a.m., Howl for the animals at Demerit Hill Farm. Not quite sure what that's about. Pumpkin Festival at the farm in Condia, New Hampshire. And then Milford, New Hampshire Pumpkin Festival. So there you go. That's your fun activity list for the weekend. Bring your rain jacket. Yeah, yeah, that's... uh, Hopefully we'll get a miracle and it won't rain. (laughs) 
ready for Slasher's Ear Review? All right, Stump, you got a gear review here? What is that all about? Yeah, let's check this out. So uh, in connection to my backpack over the weekend, I was introduced to a new backpacking chair. And it's by that company, Nemo, that we had mentioned maybe, I don't know, several episodes ago. Somebody had mentioned it. But they make all kinds of really nice backpacking gear, hiking gear. And this chair in particular is worth looking at. It's called the Nemo Moonlight Camp Chair. Um, it's about 144 bucks on Amazon, and I found it for 111 bucks at REI, which you may think is pretty steep. Uh, maybe not, but um, that's the cost. And what you have is a reclining scoop camp chair. Measures about 20 inches by 20 by 20. Um, and it's almost like the tent uh, pole set up where you just put all your um, poles together and put the tent up. It's the same exact thing. So it just folds up into this nice tiny um, 1.14 ounce bag. And then you just bust it out and it's amazing. It's like 10 foot high, uh, 10 foot high, 10.5 inches high. And it can take about 300 pounds for weight. So it's an amazing piece of gear. What weighs 1.14 ounces? The bag it comes in or the whole chair? The whole thing. That can, yeah, the whole really? One point one four ounces for an entire. That just that's no. It's gonna be one point four pounds. It's gotta be. Oh wait, total weight. Yeah, I'm sorry. So one pound one. Yeah, one point one four ounce. Yeah. Oh, that's okay, right. okay. That so sounds unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I want this one point yeah. one four ounce chair. Yes, please. Well, <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, well, it's funny that you mentioned this. One pound point one four. When I was in Yosemite, like almost all of the backpackers had camp chairs with them. So I was like, I was like, oh, I don't need one. First of all, I was going to bring my hammock so I could just lounge around in my hammock. But I was like, I want to save the weight. Then I was like, well, I'll just sit on my bear vault because it's kind of, but but you want to lean back. So I was kind of regretting it. But this guy that I was talking to, he has a chair. He had a chair. The same thing you're talking about. It's basically like, they're like the tent poles that like connect together and it's small. It was like basically the size of like your your blow up sleeping pad, but it's mm-hmm. called a Hillinox. And that one is 320 pound capacity and weighs 1.4 pounds. Yeah. And um it's $159. So it sounds like the one that you're talking about is cheaper and weighs less. So Correct. I I so, have a Hillinox. I have one of those chairs. Yeah, I've had it for you, years. Yeah. It's and you like it's, it. I, it's a comfortable chair when you get it set up. It's just, it is a question of weight. Do you want to lug it around the wilderness with you when you can probably find a log or something to sit on that's yeah. not as comfortable, but probably good enough? It all depends on how long you're going to be in camp and whether it's worth it to you because, you know, a pound and change is not nothing to carry around in your pack. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. So, and I was pretty comfortable. Like, I thought my weight was dialed in, but. You know, adding another, and plus when you're you're taking four or five days worth of food, like it's significant. Um, so mm-hmm. when you when you start off that first day or two, that extra pound and a half is big. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the comfort counts too. True, true. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I'll put the links in the show notes for the Nemo Moonlight, and then also the Helinox, and then people can decide. Yeah, that's, so. that'd be great. All right, so we have our first sponsor. 
Vaucluse Gear, do you have a sweat problem? Sweat can be extremely uncomfortable on the trails. Plus, sweat is a serious risk factor. As your clothes get wet, your core temperature can dramatically fluctuate. And this can result in hypothermia, heat exhaustion, and dehydration. We've got good news at Slasher for you. There's a piece of gear that solves the sweat problem. Vaucluse's Ultralight Ventilation Backpack Frame. The frame is a backpack accessory that easily installs in your favorite pack, size 15 liters to 65 liters, and creates a ventilating airflow gap between you and your pack. It's also ultralight, weighing less than a pair of socks at just over 3 ounces. Whether you're hiking in hot or cold temps, the ultralight ventilation backpack frame is a real game changer when it comes to airflow and ventilation. So visit VaucluseGear.com to order an ultralight ventilation frame today. Use promo code SLASHER to enjoy a $5 discount. Plus, let them know that Mike and Stomp sent you. Cool. Get your free stickers at Ski Fanatics off of Exit 28 in Campton, New Hampshire. Or at Spinner's Pizza Parlor in Andover off of Dascom Road in Massachusetts. And uh, we have one coffee donation, Mike, and you're going to love this one. Do you remember that threat that we got a couple episodes ago well my pronunciations yes 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 well mark made good on his second donation since you uh, nailed the pronunciation of moose a <laughs> I, I threw out the steve smith card so uh, i'll take it <laughs> yes yeah that's a heavy heavy uh opinion to throw at the kid so good job but well, i appreciate mark, it thank mark, you very much. because uh we can use the money because as i'm recording this show right now my daughter's texting me Stomp. I, I, I don't know whether. So she's claiming. So we're recording on October fifth. Tomorrow's going to be October sixth. She's claiming that there's a national holiday tomorrow, which is known as National Transfer Money to Your Daughter Day. Uh, <laughs> this holiday was created in 2019 by female entrepreneurs who wanted to celebrate the importance of economic empowerment for young women. So National Transfer Money to Your Daughter Day 2023 is on October sixth. Wow. This has got to be a BS holiday. I can't believe this is true. I'm going to have to turn my phone off on that one. So thank you, Mark, because um, now I'll be able to transfer money to my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> one coffee. Well, <laughs> going to need a few more, but we'll, 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 it's a start. <laughs> Mike, can I give you some takeaway pronunciation homework? You yes. say Shimin Des Dames. Uh, that's got to be wrong. Go. Surely that's wrong. It has it's to gotta be. be something There's like no... Shemin Dadam or something like that. Oh, it has to yeah, be. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that, I, I'm a, normally, I would like to argue about my pronunciations, but I have no defense on that one. It can't be correct. <laughs> but I think the one thing about that, that trail is that I don't think anybody can pronounce that correctly. Except maybe like the French Canadians when they're coming down. So Yeah, you're like the Danny Zuko of uh, French pronunciation. <laughs> Yeah. As Dame. Hello. <laughs> 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 All right. Hey. Uh, so, Stomp, I. What did I do last? Oh, last weekend I was down at my daughter's college. I went to frat parties. So, that was like the opposite of hiking. So, I didn't do any hiking. Um, and I also realized that I'm too old to go to frat parties, but you did do some hiking. So, we <laughs> talked about your trip a little bit. What did, where did you go? Well, I talked to my um, naive cousin and his son to do some bushwhacking up to um, the Cannon Cliffs. So we uh, went up a climber's trail that you can access from the Cannon Tram lot. 
and ended up uh, backpacking above treeline, um, above the, the height of the, um, the top out points of most of the, the climbs on Cannon Cliffs. And we spent the night under the stars. It was a beautiful night in the 40s, a um, little bit of wind, like I had mentioned earlier. Um, fascinating as the sun went down, watching all the headlamps. We had a whole uh, band of hikers coming down the watcher. And we were just watching light after light coming down. And it's getting later and later in the night and closer to 10 o'clock. And there are still people out there just crushing peaks. You know, headlamps coming across Franconia Ridge, coming down the agonies of Old Bridal, coming down Falling Waters. It was amazing seeing all the activity. It was a really cool time. Um, it was a bit of a challenge for uh, the fam to make it up there. Uh, it was definitely a little bit out of their comfort zone and they had asked whether or not uh, we could go up the following morning rather than go down what we had come up to get to the uh, backpacking spot. And I really, um, I left it up to them. I, I tried to encourage them to, to go back down because I knew it would be easier, but they just wanted to just head up and regardless of the, this, the steeps and the bushwhacking and, uh, tap into Kinsmer Ridge Trail, and then head back down. And that's ultimately what we ended up doing. And um, if anybody's been up there, it is, it is an intense area. After you leave uh, the backpacking area just above the old man, you're basically following uh, slab granite and scrambling your way up for at least a quarter mile minimum. And um, it's about a thousand foot as the as the crow flies to get to Kinsman Ridge, but man, it's a lot of work. And you can get it's like you're just in this maze where you have to go one direction, you hit a dead end, you have to backtrack. I spent a lot of time rebuilding cairns that uh, do marks. I don't know. I wouldn't even call it a trail. It's it's pretty rough, but spent some time doing that. And then we ultimately burst into uh, Kinsman Ridge and then made our way down. But uh, it was wild, man. Great, great adventure. Stop. You'd be fighting a lot of spruce in there, right? You will, that's the problem. That is probably one of the gnarliest areas for that tight, razor sharp uh, spruce. Yes, but just that, I don't know what you'd call it. The um, alpine, alpine, what, what's it called? Uh, right on the edge of the crumb holes, right? Krumholtz, that's the word. Thank you. Yeah, it's a lot of that. It's mostly that actually, mm-hmm. but ooh, brutal. But there is a path. You just have to be uh, observant and try to find these teeny little cairns that have been built over the years and make your way. And uh, at some points, it's pretty wild. I mean, you're literally a foot to two feet away from a nine hundred foot drop, and you have to follow a path that's fairly obvious, but. For the most part, we were just getting off the path into the vegetation just to provide a little more safety, a little bit more of a buffer, just in case somebody lost their footing. So pretty intense, but good time. Was the uh, noise of the cars a factor at all? Oh, that's a good question. No, I don't think so. I mean, you're so far up there, you can't hear the highway. You can see the cars, but there's definitely no noise uh, from the traffic. Yeah, that's definitely yeah. a bucket list. I want to get up there. I've never oh, been on that side. It's fantastic. And we saw the uh, the moonrise, too. It was the day after the full moon. And then we saw sunrise. Sunrise was a little bit muted because of the, quote-unquote, ozone from the uh, fires, the wildfires. 
Um, and from up there, you could see some of the foliage, which at the time was maybe 25%. I'm, I'm no foliage expert, but it was definitely not full, that's for sure. You going anywhere this weekend, Stomp? Um, I'm planning on doing a small jaunt up to the Scour in Waterville with Mrs. Stomp. And uh, with the weather, probably nothing more than that, but we'll see. Yeah, I was going to wait till Saturday, but with the rain coming up, I may just do a late afternoon hike on Mount Shakora on the way up to Maine and then just come down on a headlamp. And I, I feel like that's the only, my only window to get good weather, but we'll see. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, be careful right. if it's damp. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be slick. Uh, no, notable hikes, Stomp. Did anybody, anybody put in for the notable hikes? Yeah, we have a few this week. So if you want to tag Slasher on your adventure to be considered for Slasher's Hike of the Week, do so. No guarantees that you'll be plugged on the show, but uh, if it's interesting enough, we will definitely sh- give you a shout-out. And um, this week we have tags from D. DePiero Photography, and this was uh, Mountain Man Hugo, a.k.a. Strider, uh, looked like a chocolate lab, perhaps. Uh, just finished 27 out of 48 on Mount Washington. Jakester D2 tackled the sugar loaves. And um, we've talked about the sugar loaves before, but this is a beautiful trail that is off of Zealand Road. And it's uh, the time for this is probably running short. I mean, you've you've got a number of weeks before they close the road, but keep it in mind, it's perfect right now for uh, foliage, and I'd highly recommend it. But Middle Sugarloaf has an amazing view. It's uh, 2,500 feet, and of course, is North Sugarloaf as well. And you're talking modest miles. Round trip, it's about three miles. So that's a great option. Next, we have Coco Gorm who did Cascade and Porter. Now, this group is in the Adirondacks and is part of the New England Highest 111. Nice work. I'm not too familiar with the Adirondacks, but uh, we should do a deep dive on that again sometime soon. Kit Hiker, T25 finish on Castle Trail to Jefferson and then down Castle Ravine Trail, bypassing Shemin Desdame. (laughs) <laughs> he did, they didn't do Shemin Desdame? <laughs> no, they did not do Shemin Desdame. <laughs> Desdame. <laughs> Good stuff. And then we have Dave Shits in the Woods. Uh, he did a logging camp loop of Livermore, Stillwater Junction, Norcross, and Nancy Pond, and Nancy Cascades. Hiking feeds my soul. Up Caps Ridge with Miles the Dog for 25 out of 48 for the 4,000 footers. Liz Fay hiked Ike, a.k.a. Eisenhower, Artist Bluff, and Crawford Cliff. Oh, check this out. It goes on Elephant's Head, Roger's Ledge, uh, Guiding a Friend. That's a, that's a hell of a, a jaunt yeah. there. And then we have Brady Girl 1. Uh, tackling Fletcher Cascade. Fletcher Cascade's a nice little hike that is accessible off of Route 49 in Waterville. It's a 3.12 mile out and back with an elevation gain of 899 feet. And it's just a beautiful cascade. Um, Roughly, I don't know, three quarters of that hike, you're flat as a board. And then when you're hiking up to the cascades, maybe a quarter mile of fairly steep uh, ascent. 
but it's but so worth it. Fletcher Cascades is absolutely awesome. And there's there's two phases of it. You you get to the, that yeah. flat spot stomp, and you get to like the stair step uh, cascade at the bottom where the water just rolls along, and it's kind of open. And then you climb yes. to the top of the thing, and it's like one of the most. It's the coolest one of the coolest waterfalls in the whites. It's just great. Yeah, it's super cool. In the winter, it can be pretty gnarly. Especially when, you know, if you don't have spikes in the winter, you're in deep trouble. But uh, it's it's a great hike. Um, a couple more here. C. Gothberg did Ossipee Mountain. And I did not know this existed, but the pictures that this person posted were beautiful. It was a really nice post. Nick hikes and plays guitar, hiked the Horn, which is the northern end of the Kilkenny Range towards Unknown Pond. And this was... 46 out of the 52. And as part of the Taylor James Steves Foundation hike, this makes 16,861 feet of vertical gain for Nick. So keep up the good work. You're uh, making a big difference there. Jay Corun, Knife's Edge, all to himself. This individual tagged us, and it was a picture of him running across the Knife's Edge without a single person on it. I mean, you just live for days like that, right, guys? Oh, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, for sure. Rhonda Ouellette, Cascade Brook to Kinsman Ridge Trail to the Cannonballs. Now, this is a really great selection of hikes, and they're not as commonly um, accessed by people. Uh, they're not frequented as much, I want to say. So they went up Cascade Brook, which you can access from, I believe it's the basin uh, off mm-hmm. of 93 North in, the, in Franconia Notch, and it traverses a bunch of cascades and and basin pools and heads up towards the Lonesome Lake Hut. Um, I'm not sure if they went up Fishing Jimmy for this, but either way, if you want to access the cannonballs, you can either go up Fishing Jimmy, more or less proximate to uh, the Kinsman Pond, the Alpine Pond, or you can head up is it Lonesome Lake Trail, guys, that heads yes. up to Cansom? Uh, yeah. Cansom. Uh, to Cannon? That, yeah. So it's Lonesome. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So either way, you can make a loop out of it, whether you're starting from the north or the south. Oh, so High Cannon Trail is up there. Dodge Cutoff is up there. There's a, there's a few different ways True. to make a loop. Yep. Yeah. True, yeah. If you want to broaden it out, the uh, High yeah. Cannon would be the pick. But the Cannonballs are awesome. So they're separate, separated by small calls. The first cannonball is the Northeast Peak, and that has an elevation of 37.69 and is one of New Hampshire's highest 100 peaks. And it overlooks Lonesome Lake, which is pretty cool. The next two cannonballs have elevations of 36.93 and then 3,660 feet. And uh, I've done this once. I did it clockwise and it was in the winter and it was really a beautiful hike oh definitely worth checking out have you guys done those i have not done that section stomp i've been it's on my list to close out the appalachian trail between beaver brook and um this particular section but i haven't uh i have not done it okay it's nice. It's I've done them, but only in the summer. Like you said, you did them in the winter stop, and that that's a little intimidating to me because it's so rugged through there. I mean, it is not you know gentle, easy hiking. It's it's some work. Yeah. So the winter sounds kind of kind of intimidating. Yeah, yeah, pretty gnarly. Yeah, I know there are a couple chimneys in there that were rough when I hit them. 
Um, but otherwise, yeah. Yeah, although I will say, Stomp, it looks like the AT doesn't go over the cannonball, so that's my mistake. But I haven't done, I've done fishing Jimmy up to the Kinsman's, but I didn't go over the cannonballs. Right, so right. I got to get well, that check on my list. Yeah. Yeah. Might be a nice adventure for you. I was looking at uh, the Fletcher Cascade. Is that what you guys were talking about? And then yeah. Drakesburg. So those trails, are they parallel each other, Stomp. And I think we went down... When we did that hike, you didn't take me over to Drakesbrook. We went down the Noon Trail, I believe. But those two trails that are parallel to each other, are they easy? You just have to cut across Drakesbrook to, to get to them, or is that even possible? Well, at there's a junction. Before Drakesbrook starts, yes, yeah. So what you do, it there's a junction. It, it bears left uh, from the start of the Drakesbrook Trail, and... Within 50 yards, you'll see a sign for Fletcher's Cascade. Got it. Yeah, it's pretty pretty obvious. You don't have to cross water until you get a mile in on the uh, Cascade Trail itself. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, I think when you took me, we went over Noon Peak and then came down Sandwich Mountain Trail, so we didn't go over that side. Yeah, gotcha. Yep. Thanks for not taking me over there. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> So, no kidding, uh, right? I, yeah, I'm kidding. Um, so notable hikes, I would say that you've got to go between uh, the guy on the knife's edge and then the person that finished the Terrifying 25, right? It's your call. Yeah, those are pretty awesome. Yeah, I'll say it's a tie. Yeah, although there, there was one that I didn't sneak in here. That friggin' hiker did the flume slide trail, which is always a beast. Oh. <laughs> but we all know yeah. that. Yeah, that friggin' hiker. That friggin' hiker. Hiking <laughs> yeah. the friggin' flume slide trail. Wonder if it was up or down. Slasher's Guest of the Week. Very cool. Very cool. Very, 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 very cool. This is your moment. Are you ready for your segment? I'm ready. I'm ready for my segment. Been, been prepping all, all day. Right. All right. So <laughs> hopefully you're not too nervous. So Stomp, why don't you... Uh, kick this off by giving sort of the overview on how you got to meet Ethan and then Ethan you can give your origin story sure yeah yeah so Ethan's you you've tagged us a couple times on the podcast and we really appreciate that so you got into my mind with the tags and then you and I had met at the Kilkenny Ridge race sponsored by White Mountain Endurance and Aravipa running and uh, I saw you in person and um, you came over and we were chatting a little bit about music and whatnot, and uh, um, that was the start of it. So what was the what was the music? It was XTC, right? You well, you were spinning lots of tunes, but then you dropped XTC. You dropped uh, Summer's College on the first track off of the <laughs> Skylarking album from '86 or so, and I was like, "Wait a You're minute! A big I know that insect noise. It starts with this ambient summer sounding insect noise. I'm like, no right. way! Is he dropping that? And then the horns kick in. I'm like, he." Is I gotta go acknowledge <laughs> and respect Stomp for some quality '80s pop music there with XTC. 
Yeah, isn't it funny? And those crickets, those crickets, I mean, a cricket is a cricket, but those crickets are so unique. It's, it's, <laughs> it's like it had to be XTC. Track. If you're a fan of the band, you, you know that sound. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's nice to meet another XTC fan. Uh, that band is phenomenal. So that's more or less how we met. And, um, you know, we haven't done a listener spotlight for a while and I uh, thought it might be nice to invite him on and chat about his uh, activities. And uh, he's done a lot of uh, training with Christina from White Mountain and he's a podcaster and just a all around outdoor enthusiast. So I think this would be a really nice time to chat. Yeah, thanks for having yeah. me on, guys. So uh, I've been following yeah. you guys on the podcast for a long time, and right, I am a I am a podcaster full time, and uh, and I've been, but but that is my job. Like that is what I do full time as I podcast. I'm in the tech space and uh, talk a lot about technology for enterprises, B two B kind of technology, firewalls and routers and uh, you know servers and the cloud and you know, stuff like that. So that's my full time <laughs> job. But I've been thinking I should do a podcast on on the White Mountain world in the community. And then the Slasher podcast came out. I'm like, and now I don't have to because Mike and Stomp have it covered. Awesome. <laughs> well, this may be your audition. We may need a, a backup host. So you're, you're, you've got that podcast voice, Ethan. So we're liking yeah. it. So. Oh, it's great. Hmm. Uh, what's the name of the podcast that you, uh, you host? Uh, it's a podcast network uh, at this point where there's several different podcasts, but uh, the main podcast network is Packet Pushers. So packetpushers.net. If you're into computer networking, all the data that we send across computer networks are separated into packets, a little packets of data. And so if you're a professional in that space, you could be called, quote unquote, a packet pusher. So that was the origin of the name. And over the years, we've been doing it since 2010. It grew from one podcast that me and a buddy did for fun into a, a full-time business that supports uh, several people. People and uh, a bunch of contractors, and we got seven different shows now, and more coming on board. And it's a great time to be a podcaster. So, oh wow, I get I get a name for your next podcast, the No Latency Podcast. Oh, that's a good one. No latency. <laughs> that's a good I one. Like you it. can mark like that it. one down. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm a little bit in that space. So, um, but that's great. So, um, why don't you talk a little bit about how did you get into hiking in the first place? So hiking for me, uh, I mean, I've been in New Hampshire, born and bred. I've lived in a few other places, but mostly I've lived in New Hampshire my entire life. And in IT, which has been my career, you uh, it's a real sedentary job and it's pretty easy to put on some weight, especially if you're a stress eater like I am. I have you know had a stressful work in the world of IT and uh, picked up a bunch of weight and started hiking around 2008, hoping to lose weight. And, and that, that kind of worked, um, but it... But when you start hiking and realize there's all these trails out there, if you didn't know anything about them because your exposure to it is like, oh, I'm going to go up and see the old man and the notch, and you don't really realize that there's 1,400 and whatever miles in the White Mountain National Forest that can be hiked, the whole world just expands. And so for me, it's like uh, I discovered the 48 and started going after that list because that's my personality. I love lists, love going after the lists and building spreadsheets and tracking things and all of that. And so it started in 2008, and I think it took me a while to to get through that first round of 48. But uh, 2013, I think my wife and I were talking about this. I finished on 
I finished on Cabot. Not the, not the best peak to finish on, but I did finish on. Cabot. If you yeah. if you're like in the list and planning, how do you finish on Cabot? I know, I know. It's just it's the way it worked out. Sometimes these things yeah. happen. But I was able to finish yeah. it with uh, my my wife and my son. We got up there, and and so the question is, did I lose weight? You know, not really, because it turns out it's less about exercise and hiking and more about not putting quite as much food in, in your mouth to uh, mm-hmm. to lose weight. And I hadn't figured that out yet at that point. So anyway, you know, the picture of me on Cabot, I was looking, I was like, oh, I was a, I was a bigger man at that point for, <laughs> for sure. Wow. Uh, but then, but I mean, the, the, the hook was set and I was just, you know, bitten by the hiking bug and it just became, you know, how often can I get up here? How often can I get up and, and, and bag another peak or do another hike or, you know, do, do an overnight backpack? And, and my wife got into it too. She got into it even more than me, honestly. At some point you got to interview her. You know, she's done, you know, way more miles and more trails than me at this point. And so the two of us as a you know, husband and wife were able to do a lot of hiking together, something that we both developed a real love for mm-hmm. and and the whites get you that way there's something about them where you go up and you just want to keep going back and keep doing more and keep having adventures and approach things in a different way and go see trails you haven't seen before and i heard this waterfall's awesome i got to go visit that and and then you finally get brave and you want to do winter hiking and they go oh i you know hiking in the in the in the wilderness in the winter it's going to kill you right that's crazy who would do that and then you find out lots of people do that you just need the right gear and got to be a little smart and you can do it safely and it's okay and got into that and wow that's got to be the most beautiful time of year to hike is in the winter. And so it, it went from summer hiking when I could to hiking all year, anytime, if the weather was good, getting out there. And uh, I kept working on more of the 48. And then I started picking up on doing uh, the guidebook. It's fallen out of favor to call it redlining, but that's how it started, right? Redlining. Uh, yep. Now they call it tracing, I guess, is the official uh, politically correct way to uh, to term that. And, and got into that. And so started knocking off sections of the book. And I'm about two thirds of the way through the Trails and the miles is a spreadsheet you can get from uh, Hiker Ed site, the uh, the the forty eight by twelve dot com, something like that. With Hiker Ed mm-hmm. site, you can download a spreadsheet that'll help you track all the trails and the miles. I started tracking that, and uh, and I'm still working on that today because that's a that's a massive project. Unless you can really dedicate a lot of time to it, it just takes years to finish it. And yeah, uh, do just, you um with with the with the tracing redlining bit like I found I I've actually filled out that spreadsheet and I found that I have all these like little sections of trails that I got to go back to yeah. that would be essentially like a full day hike just to close out you know a half yep. mile here quarter mile here are you dealing with that issue now or do you are you just doing it casually so, so you're not stressing uh, about it I'm not dealing with it at this point too much um in that I I realized early on when I started tracking them I ran into the same thing at the spreadsheet it's like oh, I need this. This little thing. Oh, I didn't do that spur, you know, and I got, I got to go back and just get three tenths of a mile, you know, a six mile hike <laughs> to get three tenths of a mile or something. So now yeah. it's, I just walked by a spur. I don't even know if it's on the spreadsheet, but I'm going down that spur just in case, yeah, just, just mm-hmm. to make sure. And that's that kind of the habit you form. Um, yeah. But now the the game is it's more complicated now because if you're purposely tracing, you're purposely going after all the trails. You end up having to construct a bunch of bizarre and weird loops to minimize mm-hmm. backtracking. So you'd be, you'd be out there for a lot of miles, going out to get something and, uh, and and bringing it back. To but to make it efficient is a game in and of itself. How you construct that loop. Inevitably, though, you're hiking a bunch of those miles twice or three times. It's just it's just the way it works. I would yeah. think. Interesting. And then with the um, 
as time has gone by, so you do a couple rounds of the 48, you're doing yeah. the, the tracing, um, assuming you're probably hitting some of the other lists at this point. How do you keep it? Like, it sounds like you've been, you've started to put together longer routes. You've put together some unique routes. Can you talk a little bit about how you, uh, I guess, have kept it interesting over the years? Yeah. So keeping it interesting for me is um, the the thing that I have been captivated by is being able to go long, long days in the mile. So 20, 30 mile routes going after those and being able to do that without without injuring myself, without it being, you know, a thing. Uh, and you mentioned uh, Christina earlier on. Christina Fulchik is, uh, is, is my coach. I hired her earlier in the year and began working with her because last year I started getting serious about doing these longer routes. So this is by last year, I mean 2022. And I started doing trail running because as soon as you start running and moving that quickly down the trails, you can fit in a lot more miles into the day. But I was injuring myself. I'd hurt myself. Like my IT band is a problem uh, for mm-hmm. me. And I, I had a day in the summer of 2022 where I ran Owl's Head because a lot of that's pretty flat and pretty pretty easy to run. Most of the trails in the Whites are not easy to run. Those, a lot of that are, that old railroad bed in Lincoln Woods, mm-hmm. uh, on Lincoln Brook Trail and so on. And even the bushwhacks, you can run a lot of those. Well, on the way out, I was like, oh, my leg hurts. But but I've been reading about these people that do the big miles in the woods. And that's just, you, you're you going to hurt yourself. Yeah. You go in the pain cave. I've heard these guys let, talking about Let me about run that. through that IT band injury. <laughs> yeah, such a great idea. <laughs> well, I, I did and it wasn't. Yeah, I ran all the way through it. I even posted on Instagram about it. That post is still there under my account. About Everybody how I makes just that mistake it out one time. Yep. <laughs> I was out for three months. I Seriously, yes. I was out. I, I yeah. ended up buying a mountain bike because that's all I could do. I trying to rehab the thing. Uh, And and that that led to me finding uh, Christina and working with Christina. And Christina clued me in. It's like, if you want to do this in the whites, because Christina is a very experienced athlete in the whites, she's set fastest known time. She was an elite athlete, very competitive, knows all this stuff. You got to be strong is the point that she made to me. So hiking is one thing, going that speed and pace. Um, running and trying to do long distances requires physical strength, as in get in the weight room and start lifting weights. And so that's part of the programming that she's done for me is uh, had me doing back squats and, you know, things like that, that just, mm-hmm. and not just for legs though, but for the whole body. I'm like, well, why, why Christina, are we working not just on legs, but you got me doing like, you know, chest presses and, you know, all this other stuff for the upper body too. And she's like, because you're going to climb and you're going to use poles and you need strength in your back and your core is what, what you're exercising a whole lot when you're out there doing this stuff to maintain your balance. And uh, and so all of that has led me to this place where now, um, after working with her for almost a year, I'm at a point where I can safely do, I still have to pay attention and not aggro, I got to pay attention, right? If the body says don't, don't, you know, don't, don't run through that IT band pain, that's dumb. But I can really safely do these things without injuring myself. And so coming up with these long routes, you know, 20 something miles, um, you know, pushing 30 miles is is interesting. That's that's a distance that I can fit into a day, and it's a long day, but um, but it's a lot of fun. And and as you put it, uh, Mike, you said you know to keep it interesting because some of the hiking here, you're in the tree tunnel, it isn't that exciting, uh, but but mm. that is when you got a big goal for the day and a lot of vert. Um, that that is exciting and that is interesting to me. 
And it, it's also inspired by some other people, though. There's folks that I remember reading their blogs when I was first hiking, and I couldn't get in my head how in the world they would do it. Chris Daly is one of them. I don't know if you guys know, know Chris. Yeah, I know the Chris. Name. Chris yep. and uh, Sergeant Pepper, his golden doodle that he takes all over the peaks with him. Well, Chris, this goes, his blog goes back many years. I remember reading it, you know, 10 odd years ago. And he talked about these loops he'd do and different things. Like, how? How is he doing it? I would die. And, 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 and you kind of learn over time. It just takes uh, practice and determination and, and, uh, and working out and uh, the, the strength and forming the right habits to uh, get your body to the point where it's, it's basically tough enough to put up with the whites, which, uh, as Christina would put it, purposefully try to chew you up and spit you out. That's, it's just so rough. That's why I was laughing earlier when you were talking about this route you're going to do with Nobby, Mike, because that route cool. is insane. And because I've been, in, I've done, you know, pieces of it. I've done similar routes and I know what I'm in for, but I don't know if Nobby knows what he's, well, I think he knows a little bit, but I don't think <laughs> sure. he really, you know, because you look at it on a map and you say like, okay, well, I got to do the Great Gully. Like the Great Gully is a day, is one, you know, you do that up Adams and then come back down some easier trail. Like that's a big day on itself, but that's just a piece of a, another huge hike. So yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. And you're right. You do have to be in shape. And I've sort of, I've sort of fallen out of shape and then gotten back in shape and then fallen out and gotten back into shape multiple times over the last 10 years or so. So I know what you're talking about, although I'm not, I'm lazy about the weight room stuff, but I get what Christina's talking about around like making sure that you're, you're well balanced and you're not just uh, doing the endurance and running hundred percent. Like you've got to do some other activities to stay yeah. strong. Yeah, yeah, she typically has me on a, three times a week. I'll do some kind of strength work uh, and or some mobility work. And then I'm running five to six times a week, something like that. Some amount uh, with uh, mostly easy stuff, like an hour, an hour and a half, you know, maybe a little bit of speed work in there. And then uh, on the weekend, you'd have, you had got a long day. I got a long day that's programmed in for where a long day is something like something over 10 miles and, uh, you know, into the into the 20s or so. So I know, yeah. uh, Stomp, you had flagged my, my Squamathon route that I posted on Instagram last week, because that's the right. route I did uh, last weekend. Uh, so yeah, this is a good example of uh, one of these routes. Um, so the Squam Range, this is down in, in Ashland, uh, that area, Sandwich. Mm-hmm. And it's if you're not familiar with the Squam Range, it's a, it's a ridge that runs kind of east and west, in uh, above Squam Lake, it's on the north side of Squam Lake, near the Ashland side. I forget what the road is, but you're pretty near the Science Center. If you know where the Science Center, you've got the western terminus mm-hmm. of Crawford Ridgepole Trail at, at Cotton Mountain Trail. So you right. take Cotton Mountain, you climb very short, tiny little Cotton Mountain, and pick up Crawford Ridgepole Trail, and it goes all the way e- roughly eastbound to Sandwich Notch Road, and it's. It's 12-ish miles, 13 miles, something like that, I think, going across mm-hmm. that ridge. And it bumps along a lot of lower peaks that are in the 2,000, 2,500-foot range. It's kind of kind of like the Belknaps, uh, you know, height-wise. It's, it's got a similar feel if you know the Belknap area. It's awesome. So the Squamathon route included a lot of that Crawford Ridgepole Trail and stuff and, uh, and some other trails around. And so my idea was I wanted to go... 26.2 miles. I wanted to do the marathon distance. 
Okay, uh-huh. and in part gotcha. of it's because I'm on Garmin. I have a Garmin watch, and if you go in Garmin Connect, they gamify everything. They give you points for different things. You can get right. eight points for a marathon. I was like, that's like the most points you can get for a thing. So I was like, I gotta get that a seems so dude, That seems so cheap, though. I like, they should give you twenty points. I, well, it's you can you can repeat uh, the eight x yeah. uh, the eight points you get if you do another marathon. A lot of the other badges they give you, you can't repeat. Anyway, mm-hmm. I wanted to do twenty six point two, and I. Felt or, or more, and I felt like it was within my reach because uh, I had done the Kilkenny Ridge Race, uh, which was a 25 miler. And it's like, oh, just a little more, and I could do that the marathon thing. Where am I going to do it? And I didn't want to do it in the most like in the northern Prezies where it's super rugged and everything's you know. T- I wanted to do something a little more chill, and so I picked the Squam Range where it's like going to be plenty challenging, lots of work, uh, lots of up and down the hills, but uh, but give me a you know a fighting chance of getting through it in a reasonable amount of time. So the Squamathon route, uh, I parked at Mount Morgan. So you guys know the Morgan and Percival, very popular mm-hmm. uh, hike that's there. You got the caves yeah. on Percival and the ladders going up Morgan and all that stuff. Really popular. People take their their families there. Sometimes it's like your first big mountain hike is to go do the Morgan Percival loop. Well, they're right in the middle of the whole thing. So I parked at the Mount Morgan trailhead. And actually, before I went out Morgan, I crossed the street to, uh, to Rattlesnake. Rattlesnake is this uh, lower lying hill that uh, overlooks Squam like it's beautiful. Headed mm-hmm. down the call trail over to the 113, back to the 113, and then hooked into a newer trail that's in the Squam region, the uh, the Eastman Preserve. That's uh, kind of down the road from where the uh, the Percival and uh, Morgan trailheads are. You wind your way through Eastman Preserve. I think they opened that in 2020. So if you haven't been in that region lately, it's you know, a fairly new trail. And that connects you up to, uh, oh, I think it's Thompson Road. It's like, a, it's like kind of like a forest road, you know, out back there. And they got yellow yep. blazes that'll take you to Doublehead Trailhead. And then you can climb uh, Doublehead, which, you know, you think these mountains are all small, so no big deal, right? Only Doublehead goes, goes straight up the ridge pretty much. This, you go, you get up to the top and it's like, am I in the whites? What's happening right now? It's very steep. <laughs> It's very aggressive. <laughs> anyway, got up there and uh, I needed to head eastbound towards uh, Sandwich Notch Road for a little bit for the distance I was looking for. Anyway, back across the ridge. Uh, now I'm on Crawford Ridge Pole Trail heading towards Percival. You bump over Mount Squam you, uh, mm-hmm. and then you end up at Percival. And it is rugged trail on that end of Crawford Ridge Pole Trail. It uh, really bumps along lots of there's some of the trail you 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 get you stop because the trail seems to have stopped and you're like where am i supposed to go and you look and there's this chimney off to the left like oh okay i climb that and it's hand over (laughs) hand and uh, and climbing to get around this huge rock anyway that's the eastern side of crawford ridgepole trails a bunch of stuff like that you make your way over to percival at percival that I dropped uh, all the way back down and ended up at the car. And now I'm about 11 miles into the hike at this point. Okay. So back to the car, I needed an aid station. There's not a lot of water up there. Uh, there's not, not, mm-hmm. not many ways to, uh, to replenish yourself. So I stopped at the car and uh, fueled back up kind of like an aid station and then headed back up Morgan, uh, all the way up to the summit of Morgan, uh, Tons of kids on the ledges there on Mount Morgan that overlook Squam like that, that classic lookout, beautiful spot. And uh, mm-hmm. so I went over, took a selfie off to the side, and then left feeling old. <laughs> Everyone there was like in their 20s. <laughs> okay. Uh, headed down Morgan, and uh, or headed, uh, yeah, a little bit down Morgan to where Crawford Ridgepole Trail then continues westbound 
all the way out to uh, to Cotton Mountain. And on the way in, I cached water at the bottom of Cotton Mountain because, again, the water problem. It's it's tough to get water up there. And uh, filled up on water and then headed back, uh, all the way back across, dropped to Squam and, and got back to the car. And uh, that was that was Squamathon. That was a long route. It's Again, I'm not the fastest guy out there by any means, but that was, I don't know, 11 hours-ish, something like that, 11 and a half hours. I don't know exactly how long it took me. It was a great day. It's hardcore. Uh, the, the, the western side, when you get from Morgan and head west towards Cotton, there is some beautiful runnable trail in there. So, whereas the eastern side of Crawford Ridgeville Trail is super rocky, the western side, you have actually miles where it is fairly runnable, um, like nice, gentle path with, you know, pine needles on it. And it's not all rocks and roots and trying to actively kill you. You can open up the speed a little bit and get cruising <laughs> along there. And this is the section between like Mount, Mount Webster and Mount yeah, Baltimore, right. that area. 100%, okay. exactly that. Because yeah, we uh, didn't do that. So Stomp and I did this. Yeah. We did the um, the Ridgepole Trail from Sandwich Notch Road over to Morgan, and then we came out. So we did a piece of it. Like we did about a, a quarter of what you did, but um, you, you did it's, it's a great area. Yeah. But you're right, it is yeah. rocky on that side. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, uh, Webster and then Livermore, you drop off the backside of Livermore, it's switchbacked, like someone put switchbacks in? Who who is this trail builder? I want to meet this person. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really lovely. And uh it gets more rugged when you get past Livermore and then uh, head to Cotton. It's a little more up and down and bouncy and rough, but uh, but not as aggressive as uh, as the other side of Crawford Ridgepole Trail anyway. But then it was just climbing back and uh and, and dropping out of the car. But yeah, as a it was a great day. And, and routes like that are, for me, easy to create because of the tool that I use. Have you guys heard of a Footpath app? Have you used Mess no. with Footpath mm-hmm. app at all? No. So Footpath app, it's not a freebie. you got to pay something for it. I don't know. But there's, uh, there's an app you can get for your phone or you can use it on the web. And if you can design a route where you can drop a, drop a pin, basically, and then uh, drop a pin somewhere down the trail and it will trace the whole thing out for you and tell you exactly oh, the miles cool. and the vert up and down that you're doing. And when you're done constructing the route, you can export it as a GPX and, uh, mm-hmm. or you can just use the footpath app natively if you want, but I like to export it to a, a GPX and bring it into my Garmin watch. Then I've got the course right on my watch. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's great. And I'll spend all kinds of time at Footpath app constructing these crazy routes in the whites with uh, with the help of that that app. It's pretty great. Yeah, I'll check that out because I think I struggle with Gaia because it has like the snap tool on the trails and it doesn't always work. It just annoys me. Like if you don't drop the the little circle exactly on the trail, it won't snap to. And it's, it's, sometimes it'll take like, you want to just go from one route to another route, like eight or nine miles, but it will pick another trail. So th- this sounds interesting. I'm going to check it's, it out. It, you get a little bit of that stuff where the logic of it's like, why did it pick that route? Or you're yeah. hiking, but there's also a bunch of cross-country trails that are in the area, and maybe it'll route you across a cross-country trail when that's not what you were looking for. You didn't want to take the ski trail. You want to take the footpath. So, yeah. But it's it's pretty solid. Um, other, it, it does occasionally an oddball thing like – if you try to construct a route that's one end of Franconia Ridge to the other, it'll like drop down to Liberty Springs and then back yeah. you up the hill. It's like, well, why did you do that? I'm not going down there. <laughs> Does stuff like that. You got to kind of know ahead of time it's going to do that and then uh, just drop your pins a little closer together and it'll route fine. 
But well, yeah, right. and then up. you you um you talked a little bit about some of the backpacking you've done. So you've done the Cohoss yeah. Trail. Have you done any other long overnight trips in the Whites? Uh, it, so the Cohoss Trail, right? That goes from the Canadian border down into Crawford Notch. That was 2019, uh, right? Mentioned that. Uh, nothing super long in the Whites. Uh, I did do a section of the John Muir Trail out in um, out in California. Uh, did that with uh, my wife and my son. You know, several years back. That was pretty great did a backpacking trip in utah with uh with a friend of mine where our objective was king's peak which is the high point in utah and uh, he lived pretty close by so um i had an opportunity to go out there with him and we attempted king's peak and uh i'll give you a hint how that story goes i still haven't summited king's peak (laughs) really (laughs) no well close close i mean the story is we went in uh, had a had a big old day getting up, climbing up to elevation, and camping below Gunsight Pass out there on the way in. The following morning, got up early because thunderstorms roll in pretty pretty regularly through that area. Mm-hmm. And the idea is get up early, beat the thunderstorms, grab the peak, and uh, you know, and get back to your campsite before the uh, the rain hits. And we d- did exactly what we were supposed to do, and uh, and did just that. We broke camp. Uh, headed out, climbed up over Gunsight Pass and headed all the way over to uh, King's Peak. We're climbing the shoulder. It goes from like an open grassy area in like a meadow below to like this shale, uh, rocky kind of loose trail. And we're climbing and climbing and climbing and we pop up over the edge of the ridge and we're looking going, Ooh, there's rain coming. Well, let's let's go get that peak. And long story short, we climbed as high as we could, but uh, but the lightning came up like we might die lightning as in we could feel our hair standing on end and uh could hear the sounds of crackling uh around us and in the rocks and in our equipment and so on it's like uh okay and so we scooted back down the hill as quickly as we could and we still haven't gotten king's peak we got off of there before the lightning yet i've never been like i could actually get struck by lightning right now this is the thing that could happen this is real i need to get down the mountain swiftly and yeah, yeah scared and, myself and right i'm just i'm looking at the summit as you're telling this story too like there's no like there's no ducking below tree line on this in this mountain no. it doesn't look like there, it's there like is, you're no, exposed there, you, you are completely exposed um it's again and it's a just a jumble of um it's kind of like like adams or washington in a way except that the rocks are different they're more like the flat loose shale kind of rocks mm-hmm. that slide around more instead of being so you know granite and sharp and stuff like that uh, there's not any really well-defined path even to get up there you just kind of kind of choose your own adventure to get up there and there's no trees there's no cover at all all you can do in that scenario is get low get low as quick as you can right Wow. Well, that is, uh, that's adventure. So are you going to go back eventually or you just, you just gave up on it? I can't not do it. It's just not close. <laughs> I mean, Utah is like a like thing. I got a planet, right? So yeah, yeah. I definitely <laughs> want to go back out there and get, uh, get King's Peak hundred percent. Uh, nice. what is your, um, hidden gem mountain in New Hampshire? Uh, Shelburne Mariah. Uh, I, I love Good that. Answer. It's the first thing that popped in my mind. Um, it's it's quiet. It's out of the way. It's not on a major route. It's not a 4K. It's near 4Ks. It's near Mariah and the, the Carters and so on. But mm-hmm. it's beautiful, wild, remote. Um, there's really interesting plants up there, uh, things to look at, different flowering uh, shrubs and so on. And it, it has that feeling of just quiet isolation. The views are great. There's places to sit. It's just 
what a great place to go. And I don't hear a lot of people talking about it because it's not, again, it's not a 4K. So a lot of people just, just miss out on places like Shelby and Mariah because they, it's not a, on the 4K list. Right. Yeah, I, I love that area. Do you uh, you prefer to go up Rattle River or the Shelburne Trail? I've only been up there once, and the way we did it was it was a uh, it, it was a redlining trip, and so we did some crazy route that had a ton of miles. We went up up over uh, Mariah something or another trail. I'd have to look at a map to remember all the trail names, Mike, but. Um, okay. The way I would approach it if I could go in, the Rattle River approach is really nice. I like that trail. Yeah. Uh, we did come like out that, that way. I think that's how we ended that trip. That's where we'd staged a car, if I remember right. Um, and that 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 would be my... It, it's an easy place to park. There's a good parking spot there, and it's a nice, gentle approach. It's a long approach, but it's a gentle approach to get in there. Where are you going to check out foliage if you get a, if you get to go somewhere in the next week or two? Uh, if I have a chance to get up there and the weather doesn't look great, but what I want to do is fire wardens trail, uh, on Mount Hale. So you, you get in there from, uh, North twin trail, you go in like you're headed to, to the twins. But if you, there's a, to get on fire wardens, which is an abandoned trail, it's, it used to be a standard route up Mount Hale, but it's no longer maintained. A lot of people know about it and use it. So it's very easy to follow. It's just, you know, it's, it's not a fern jungle. It is a fern jungle for sure. <laughs> but back in there, you've got some birch glades, and I have always wanted to go back in there during the fall. I've never made it in there to to uh, to, to see what that looks like in the fall. I have ima- I'm imagining it would be really lovely and, and, and quiet, just less trafficked. And one yeah. other place mm. would be uh, Hancock Notch uh, and Cedar, uh, Cedar Brook back in there. I have done that in the fall, and it is That's interesting. You're, you're pretty low a down. Deeper. A lot of great hardwoods in there. Uh, Right. maple and uh, and birch and, and just lots of beautiful beautiful colors in there mm. yeah you know what i was thinking about was the uh, the the zealand trail like the bog bridges mm. heading oh, to yeah. the hut in that area there because yeah. i've learned like over the years to like you've got to immerse yourself in the foliage instead of being up high so i feel like maybe that would mm. be a good spot but i don't know yeah. this weekend's going to be rough to yeah to figure out but uh, but those are good calls those are good picks mm-hmm. thank you so, um, winter hiking. Can you talk a little bit about like any tips you have for people that are just getting into winter hiking? Um, winter hiking is about managing your layers primarily. The problem with winter hiking for a hiker is that you're you're heading up, you're going to sweat, and as you get higher, it gets colder. And depending on what your objective is, you're maybe dealing with wind and some exposure. And so you sweat through your lower layers. You need upper layers that can either help you move some of that moisture away from your skin. Um, and block wind. So, so you need to keep wind uh, away from you so that you're not getting cold. And the thing you're trying to avoid is, uh, is hypothermia, uh, and potentially frostbite if you, if it's really serious. I mean, the, the, the game to play is, is layers. Now, I have been known to bring dry layers with me. And if I can f- find somewhere, once I get to the high point of the day, I will actually stand out there in the cold and throw a dry layer on before uh, descending. You know, stand out there in my bare skin for a few minutes. And uh, my wife will mm-hmm. joke with me that the Yeti has appeared because <laughs> I got stripped down him, <laughs> to, <laughs> to my bare skin and, uh, and put on that dry shirt. But it's, it's worth it. It's worth it. And I feel safer, you know, 
when I do stuff like that. But uh, so a, a layering system for me will involve um, some kind of a merino or a wool layer because uh, those layers will retain heat even when wet. And I'm I sweat a lot, so I'm definitely going to soak them out. I'll have on some kind of a mid layer that's got some loft to it, like a like a fleece, something like that. I might have a, I might have a prima loft layer. I'm not a big fa- fan of down because if it gets wet, it's useless. Uh, but but prima yeah, loft more is more like yeah yeah. The down is more like you're stationary and you got to stay warm. Yes, exactly. Yeah, but for not for for activity. So, I, but I'll have yeah, some kind of a, a fleece layer, a primaloff layer, something like that in the middle, and then some kind of an outer garment, and then I'll carry usually a, a, a puffy something to put on that's got you know some dense insulation, so that if I'm standing still for a while because I'm taking a break or it's time to eat something or whatever, I can throw that layer on when I'm not moving because you get cold fast in the winter. You just do. Um, so, so layering mm-hmm. is, is a big thing. Um, and the second thing is just traction. And sometimes in the winter in the whites, you, there is no correct traction. Uh, and by traction, I mean, micro spikes is, is going to be one of your major choices. You'll need some potentially, depending on where you're going and what the icing is like, you'll need some kind of a middle layer where it's more aggressive than a micro spike. Um, but it doesn't need to be a full crampon where you're actually got those, you know, 10, 10 points of contact and the, the spikes are an inch and a half long and all that. You don't need something quite like that, but there's something in the middle. Hillsound makes, makes a layer in the middle or a, uh, uh, you know, spiked footwear in the middle. That's, it's mm-hmm. got a rigid platform and you strap it on your boots, but that can help you get through just about anything. I do have a set of full crampons, but almost never need them in the whites. The same thing with an ice axe. I, I've, I have carried one with me occasionally, but there's almost never a situation where I've needed them. Um, I think of that maybe maybe for the high presidentials or something. I could you know find a use case for for an ice axe, and I don't mean like a climbing ice axe. I mean one with like the straight handle where you'd carry to self arrest if you were like sliding down. A, you know, you lost your footing and were sliding down an incline on a slope or something, and that's. There's just not that many scenarios like that. There's some going up Washington and a few other places, right. but by and large, uh, full crampons and ice axes are overkill for hiking in the win- in the winter whites, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, I've I've used full cramp, never an axe, but full crampons like going up. Um, what is it? Not Valley Way, but Airline. I've gone up Lowe's Path. I've gone up where it's been just sheer ice. Uh, Amanusik. You know, it depends on if you've got like freezing and, and, and heavy, thick ice, then you know, you can it, use yeah. them occasionally, but that's about it. It can be seasonal too. Like some seasons you get a lot of freezing, and so the ledges that are seeping will freeze and form these big ice bulges that crampons really are the best way to go. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then the sad thing is just you got to lug them and be willing to change into them and out of them as you go because you don't want to wear them all day. You just need to get through a dangerous bit and then uh, switch back to micro spikes, probably. It's what I end up wearing most of the winter. Um, and it's, it's, but it's, it's beautiful. I love hiking in the winter. There's nothing like seeing a frozen waterfall. You want to hiking across it, like going up, uh, ammo, uh, heading up to Washington. There's a whole section in there of uh, frozen water. It's just absolutely stunning to look at. And, and the, the, the snow tunnels, that whole, or what I think of as tunnels, you're in the trees, but you're, you're higher up and the, the trees are weighed down with snow and you're walking on a, a snow covered path. Winter in the Whites, again, for me, I think is the, has got to be the most beautiful. Uh, scares me the most, but it's the most beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and then as far as outside of hiking, uh, do you have any uh, advice for the listeners on fun things to do in New Hampshire that you like? 
fun things to do in Hampstead. <laughs> it's it's funny Besides because hiking. I'm so all in on hiking and uh, and trail oh, really? and stuff like that. <laughs> but that's been my thing. But I mean, you know, the other so for outdoor stuff, mountain biking, of course. You know, I live uh, north of the Notches, and um, there's Parker Mountain over in Littleton. There's got lots of mountain biking trails. Then down mm-hmm. in Franconia, you've got uh, the whole Nemba area down there with tons and tons of trails, and they keep seem to making more. And then over in Bethlehem, the uh, you've got a another one you know those three uh, mountain bike communities and trails are very well maintained lots of interesting and great stuff to do uh, there mm-hmm. one thing that's been on my list and maybe you guys have done this but i want to go up to pittsburgh and get on uh one of these side by sides or some four by fours and go hit the trails right. up there that looks like a blast to me have you guys ever had a chance to do that I have done that in Arizona, but I've never done it here. But yeah, that does look like fun. So it, I'm of two minds. One is that, yeah, it looks like fun, and I'd love to do that with a group of friends. But I also feel like there is a lot of yahoos up there <laughs> that are ripping around. And like, you know, it's it's sort of like the cables on Half Dome is like, I'm putting myself at the mercy of these strangers with questionable capabilities. And it's sort of like the same thing as like, okay, I'm going to go out in these side-by-sides, but who's going to be driving the other direction coming towards us? And how many beers have they been drinking that morning? <laughs> it's the same thing with the snowmobiles too, but I've not done the, uh, the summer four by fours or anything like that. Personally, yeah. it looks fun though. Uh, the, yeah, the, the other thing in New Hampshire that that I think we have a lot of great stuff is uh, is beer. It's it's we got all these breweries around that make are making great beer, so it can be a fun thing oh, to go totally. and just visit the different breweries and see what they got to offer. Because there's a lot of great stuff. There's Shillings in Littleton, mm. uh, and and uh, down in Woodstock they got the Woodstock Inn, and of course you got Reckless over in Bethlehem where you guys are going to be doing the show, and uh, and and so on. There's just so much of that mm. that's just fun. If you enjoy beer, New Hampshire is a great place to be so much uh, action in that space yeah and all the breweries have their own little sort of quirky atmospheres and vibes to them it's it's great mm. 100% alright Stomp awesome. any, any questions for Ethan I have two uh, fairly brief how do you do your training sessions with Christina right now is it virtual it Does she is give virtual. you homework? Uh, yep, yeah, I get. Um, we meet once a week and we discuss okay. the week and how things are going. If I've got any injuries or special considerations with my schedule or anything like that, and then she will program one week at a time for me. And uh, we use an app called Training Peaks. I think a lot of lot of runners and uh, athletes use Training Peaks, so all my programming is in there. It tracks everything when I'm done a workout. I upload it to Training Peaks, so she as my coach can see exactly what I did, and I can leave comments about. Uh, this felt good. This didn't. I had a great day. I had a rough day. I rolled my ankle. Whatever it is, I can put all the notes yeah. in there. That's fantastic. That's really cool. Yeah. Second question: What is in your winter endurance pack for emergencies? Uh, so my when I load out for winter, it's very different from summer. Summer, I tend to use a running vest and carry as little as possible. I carry the essentials and all the things I need to be safe, including a tracker that I can hit hit SOS and get Sarah to come out if I really had to have that. In the winter, it's all of that plus uh, a lot of clothes. Um, I usually have a my quilt with me. I have an enlightened equipment quilt that I would use, to, you know, usually for overnighting, but something that can keep me warm and uh, some kind of a dry layer so that if I 
I don't know, break a limb, let's say, and makes means I'm immobile or I can only move very slowly and I'm going to lose a lot of body heat. I will have some, mm-hmm. something dry that I can put on so that I'm much less prone to hypothermia. Um, gotcha. And then uh, that quilt to wrap around me so that if I truly can't move, I can retain heat. I've got some way to retain heat. Um, I will, in certain circumstances, depends on whether or not I'm solo, I might carry shelter with me, carry a bivy, emergency bivy, something that I can. I don't want to be the guy that's got to be digging a hole in the snow like the survivalists and you know stacking up spruce branches to make a, a little house for myself <laughs> in the middle of the winter if I got a broken leg. About all I'm going to be able to pull off is a, you know throw a bivy up and that's about it. But it'll depend yeah. on the route that I'm going. You know, um, Even in the winter, the 4Ks are very well trafficked. They're very popular. The, the trails are all stomped out. I mean, I was talking about traction. I didn't mention snowshoes, but of course I wear snowshoes quite a bit too. The trails are pretty well stomped out. And uh, and so I worry a little less in those circumstances. But if I was doing more of a remote wilderness hike or like doing a bonds traverse in the winter or something like that, which I ha- which is on my list, I have not done one yet. Well, I would we should connect because that's going to be my finish for the, for the 4,000 foot or winter list. So I may need you. You, you have my contact information. Right. Yeah, that'd be great. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So, did I answer Very your cool. question, Stop. You sure did. Yeah, that's great. It's good to hear. I, I do get concerned about the, um, the trail runners in the winter. We've had some you know, rescues that have been really difficult and challenging um, and life-threatening. So it's good to hear that the community's becoming more aware of that potentiality. Well, it's a mix, right? I mean, I I didn't start out as a trail runner. I started out as a hiker. And so the, what you need to have to be safe, not put a burden on the SAR community, you know, not be a, uh, and not be a danger to yourself. You know, the mm-hmm. winter will kill you. It's just that's the reality of it. And so my logic is always, you know, yeah, I don't want to carry tons of stuff and I don't want it to be a heavy pack, but that's just the way it is to hike safely. And I just don't move as quickly in the winter. I can't. Um, I do see trail runners out there with, with little packs. And sometimes they, I'm looking at them going, dude, you are underdressed. You're going to drop 20 <laughs> degrees from where you are right now at the base till you get to the top. And, you know, I, I don't care how fast you're moving, how skilled you are. Um, the penalty for getting it wrong might be your life. And that's how I, I think about it. And so I pack accordingly. And, um, I hope I don't have to use most of what's in my pack because it means something went wrong. Yeah, and listening to you describe it, the way I I, I explain it to new people that that are asking me sometimes, we'll have just conversations on the trail. Is you're sort of you're bringing enough equipment to buy yourself that eight to fourteen hour wait mm-hmm. if you do need a search and rescue. So you've got your sleep, your sit pad, you've got uh, either a bivy or like you said, you get your enlightened equipment uh, quilt. Like you're buying just enough time to to get yeah. a rescue team out to you if you if you get to stay stationary for a certain amount of time and and that usually at minimum the 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 sit pad and the the quilt will get you eight to 12 hours if you have to it's not going to be pretty it's not going to be comfortable but it's it's going to be a lot more time than if you went directly down into the snow with nothing it's funny to to, to look at that logic when i am headed up in the mountains no matter what i I use uh mountain-forecast.com to to look at the hourly forecast and what's happening for the next 24 hours a typical 4K summit's going to take me, say, three to six hours, depending on what the route is and where I'm going. But I look 24 hours ahead because 
What if I got to be out there overnight? What are the temps going to be? Is there a storm right. coming in? And then I might yeah. carry, I might do a load uh, in my pack that's different than uh, it would be otherwise. If it's going to be a safe night, it's going to be 60 degrees and, uh, you know, the full moon out. You know, if I'm out there overnight, I'm not going to die. It's going to be okay. This is just such right. a different Good. game uh, in the winter, especially. Yeah. And you might be the one that stumbles upon somebody that didn't bring that gear and you have it and, and you know. Can, that that comes to mind, too, where I might out, be able so. to help somebody out. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. All right, Ethan. Well, this has been great. You're an interesting guy, and uh, hopefully you'll sign up for that 5K and that you know we can, we can stay in touch because I need somebody to join me on my Z-Bonds Traverse over the winter. Stomp's going to bail yeah. out on me. <laughs> I'm in, man. You, got, you, you ring me up. I'm in. Maybe we All can, right. maybe we can uh, shame Stomp into coming with us. Yes, <laughs> I can do it. I can do it. I can definitely do it. Last time I tried, I bailed out because my hip was pre-hip replacement. Yeah, this is yeah. That's right. The Z-Bone Traverse stomps yep. King's Peak, so he needs to get it back. Yeah, it's a chip on my shoulder. True, true. All right, Stomp. So, what do we say? We skip out on the search and rescue news because we're hitting two hours here, and uh, we'll we'll pick it up next week. Yeah, sounds good. All right, folks, um, hopefully it won't rain as much this weekend and we'll all have a good time getting out in the foliage. So let's pl- say a prayer to the the rain gods that they, they go focus somewhere else. Maybe they go out to Vermont. Yep. We don't want to get Des Dames damp. Des Dame. <laughs> Danny Zucker. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, it was a pleasure. Thank you again, right. Ethan. Thanks for having me on, guys. I really enjoyed this. You bet. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stump, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Only one hill! Lieutenant James Neeland from New Hampshire Fishing Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared. And I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.